You're listening to the Airline Pilot Guy Show. The view from our side of the cockpit door. WAPG. It's the Airline Pilot Guy. Airline Pilot Guy episode 489. Yeah, he's up in the sky. You're listening to the Airline Pilot Guy Show. The view from our side of the cockpit door with your host, Captain Jeff, broadcasting live from Studio 1A at APG headquarters in Lake Burton, Georgia. Today's show is recorded on the 14th of September, episode, a Cape Air flight skids off the end of the runway in Provincetown, sending seven people to the hospital. Cathay Pacific is closing its base in London. More news, your feedback, and today's plane tale, still waiting for help, still praying. So get all settled in. Tray tables and seat backs in the upright and locked positions. Electronic devices powered on. I'm Radio Roger, and Flight 489 is ready for pushback. Thank you, Radio Roger. He's an award-winning TV and radio reporter currently at the number one all-news station in the nation. 1010 wins in New York City! Welcome to the Airline Pilot Guy Show. It's an aviation podcast covering the latest in aviation news and answering your great feedback. I'm Captain Jeff, a pilot at a major legacy airline based in Atlanta, GA, and joining me today from her lakeside studio in South... She's a doctor, skydiver, marathon runner, strength training junkie, IPA connoisseur, and commercial multi-engine instrument rated backstabbing jumper dumper. It's Dr. Steph. Hey, Captain Jeff. It is so nice to see you this evening. Looking forward to a great show. I'm looking forward to it as well. Now, we're uh, not joined by Captains Nick and Rick today, Ooh. but we're going to make the most of it. Liz is here. So, you know, pretty much the A team. So I think it's going to be yeah. okay. So, with that... Is that the EH team from Canada? The what team from Canada? EH. You know how we say A all the time? Oh, the EH. A. 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 Team. Yes, the A team. Let's do some news. Stand by for news. Okay, this happened uh, just a few days few days ago. Uh, Provincetown plane crash. Victims suffer burns and broken bones from Boston 25 News. Actually, I think that uh, there was a, I think we have three articles here, and I like the second one a little bit better. So this is uh, from WCVB in Cape Cod or wherever they are. Uh, Federal investigators arrived at a wooded area near Provincetown Municipal Airport Friday after a Cape Air flight skidded off the runway and crashed. The FAA said the twin-engine Cessna 402 went off the end of the runway while attempting to land at Provincetown Municipal Airport around 4 p.m. Cape Air said all six passengers and the pilot were taken to a Cape Cod hospital. Uh, Let's see. An NTSB investigator arrived at the scene on Friday. The wreckage is expected to be recovered Saturday and taken to a facility for further examination. 
The NTSB said the investigator will document the scene and examine the aircraft, radar data, weather information, air traffic control communication, airplane maintenance records, and the pilot's medical records will also be collected. Uh, Passengers said the plane was attempting to land when it ran into trouble. Here's a quote from one of the passengers. I have no idea if the runway was slick or not. I know it was not slowing down, and he lifted off again, and we went through trees and stuff. That's according to Autumn Kerr, a mother of two and a geriatric nurse from Toledo, Ohio, who was with her friend Heather on the flight. That's not nice to call her geriatric. Yeah, I don't know why they had to pick on her age, really. I mean, that's kind of unfair. Um, you know, no, wait a minute. I think she, she um, takes care, she takes of, care of, ah, patients. okay. Well, I don't think that sentence. See, that's why was, you have the, uh, the, the doctor here. That sentence structure was not things. very good. I think you would agree. No, I, agree. I concur. All right. Uh, we have, uh, three concurrences. Five uh, she said, concur. pardon me. I said five out of six doctors concur. Five out of six doctors <laughs> can recommend crest toothpaste. <laughs> Uh, she said people then started to go out the back of the plane, but she struggled to get her seatbelt off. She found her way to an exit to escape as flames spread. Care said she suffered second-degree burns on her legs and hands. I'm really grateful to be here to see my husband and go home, she said. I don't want to fly home. I want to be good enough to drive, or rather ride. And uh, the town manager, Alex Morris, said that the weather caused the crash at the airport on the tip of Cape Cod. Oh, apparently, he is an accident, uh, certified accident investigator. He knows all um, things. He he's does. The, he's the mayor? Is that what he was? Well, yeah. yeah. So uh-huh. there you go. Oh, manager. Manager. Or the manager. Mm-hmm. Maybe they don't have mayors. I don't know. Who knows? Thankfully, it wasn't a high impact crash and there are no fatalities, he said. Um the lady, Autumn Care uh, said that despite the rough weather in the area, she felt no turbulence on the flight from Logan Airport to the Provincetown Airport. Boy, that must be a short flight. Yeah, although they said it was about an hour. That seems kind of long to me, but that I know they don't seem... go that fast. <clears throat> Very uh, long. In a no, but it's not that far flight. away. Um, yeah. I don't know. Let's do a quick uh, search here. It's on Cape yeah. Cod. Maybe it was like um, one of those things that was blocked for an hour. So yeah. that's why she said an hour long it's flight, but 39 nautical miles. Yeah. 39 miles. That's not even in a, hour. yeah, no, it doesn't take an hour to do yeah. that unless there's a lot of vectoring or yeah. departure procedures. But once you get out of Logan, Boston, but I wouldn't, nah, I wouldn't imagine so. No, yeah, I don't think so. Now, if you're going the other direction, maybe that's sure what time they boarded longer. the plane was an hour before that Could would be. make some sense. Although, you know what, this is what happens at Acme at, at the gatehouse, the, um, and there, I think this is part of their script, but I think that somebody should change it because they'll say the flying time today, um, to Boston is two hours and 20 minutes. And I'm thinking, no, that's the block, that's the block time. time. <laughs> it's not the flying time. And so I'm sure that I get a lot of, you know, cocked heads in the airplane when I'm doing my, uh, welcome aboard PA. And I say our actual flying time today is one hour and 45 minutes. And they go, wait a minute. You do the, our wheels up to wheels down time. Yeah. Well, I don't like to say that. No. Okay. But anyway. You do you. That's I fine. do me. And, as long uh, as they've got their el- electronic devices powered on. That's right. As long as they have their electronic devices powered on, I'm good. Anyway. So um, just some information about mm-hmm. Provincetown. It's... um. Oh, would you? Hey, wait, Steph, before you do that, could you tell yep. us a little of information about Provincetown? I would like to, actually, okay. Captain Jeff. Thank you. Um, looks like the, oh, I just clicked on the wrong thing. Um, reasonably short runway, 3,502 feet. It is right on the 
on the coast there on the Cape. Um, basically right as the Cape comes all the way around to the end of the point or the hook, that's where it is. It looks like just based on the picture that we have in the news articles where the uh, aircraft has come to rest on the far side of a road in the trees, that they were probably landing on runway seven. And if they were not able to stop in time, they would have uh, gone off the end there and across that road and into the trees. Uh, but I really don't have a whole lot more information than that. Yeah. I don't on know the- anything about the... Do we have any of the weather information other than yeah, it, was it was bad weather and rainy? Yeah, um, it was like bad low rain visibility. before the incident and afterwards and like all day long. It's been raining quite a bit. Do you, do you have any information about the uh, the the runway surface? Is it uh, grooved uh, or give me just a porous second, friction overlay or anything like that that may have helped? Tell you. Yeah. Good asphalt. That's all it says. Just asphalt. So mm-hmm. probably. So I'm going to guess not grooved. It's yeah. a, I mean, it's a regional airport, you know, yeah. it's 3,500 feet. Right. Probably not likely that it no. would have anything helpful like that. I wouldn't think so. So I'm guessing. Someone can uh, tell me if I'm wrong, but I don't think sounds so. Sounds to me like a uh, good possibility here that there was some major hydroplaning going on. Mm, potentially, sure. And I uh, believe that the uh, winds were generally out of the south and they were landing to the northeast. So there may have been a little bit of a tailwind component as well um let's see there was another uh on this um third let's see i'm looking for a quote from another passenger um yeah i can't find it anyway yeah so uh not good of course they're going to be doing their investigation to determine you know, what the uh, probable cause is, but it certainly sounds like without further information that uh, it was just bad weather, a little bit of tailwind, maybe very wet runway airplane was not slowing down. And the pilot went ahead and basically initiated a go around when they determined or he or she determined that they couldn't stop. And Hmm. as we've talked about here, that's not really the best idea and they end up hit, uh, hitting uh, some trees and crashing. So yeah. So yeah, we'll, that all sounds very plausible to me. Yeah. We'll see. We will see for sure. Okay. Did you show any of those overlays? I wasn't looking I at did. the, okay, she great. Did. Thank you. Um, let's move on to this next item. Uh, Cathay Pacific to close the London pilot base. Uh, and review uh, other, or re- to review United States bases. And this is from Reuters, and uh, it starts by saying Hong Kong's Cathay Pacific Airways Limited will close its London pilot base and review the last remaining overseas pilot bases in the United States. Uh, the closure comes after Cathay put the London base under review in July and shut bases in Australia, New Zealand, Canada, and Germany this year in a bid to focus operations in Hong Kong, where pilots have taken permanent pay cuts to retain jobs. The London-based pilots, many of whom had not been flying since April 2020, will be offered a redundancy or the opportunity to move to Hong Kong, Cathay said in a statement. The decision is not one we have taken lightly and does not reflect on the professionalism of the pilots based in London, the airline added. Uh, Cathay 
said that it would review its U.S. bases later in the year. That's the third, third time we've heard that. That's declined to say how many jobs were affected. In June, Cathay resumed recruiting pilots with Hong Kong residents, he writes, as part of its medium to long-term planning, even though much of its fleet has been parked because of the pandemic. In July, it reported a fall of 98.4% in passenger numbers from this the corresponding. July? Yeah, I guess. Oh, no, 2020 from the corresponding okay. 2019. Or maybe okay. it was this July corresponding to. Yeah, it doesn't really say. Uh, Either way, it's probably accurate. So I guess you could safely say a huge drop in passenger oh, yeah. numbers. Um, let's see, attributing the drop to tight border controls, but its air cargo business has performed better than before the pandemic. Now, we have somebody near and dear to the APG, uh, one of our roving correspondents. Um, we, of course, are referring to the wonderful Nigel Demery, and uh, he has some experience um, with the company, Cathay Pacific, having flown for them for a number of years. And so uh, let's hear what uh, Nigel has to say about all this. Hello, APG crew and community, especially Micah, the main man. This is Hong Kong Nigel. The Reuters news article says it all, really, and the outcome is much as I outlined six months ago in APG 462. Hey, stay with us. You can go and listen to that later. Cathay Pacific Airways is still in a dire position. It lost one billion US dollars in the first six months of this year. The share price is two-thirds of what it was when I joined the airline in 1988, some, I don't know, 33 years ago. Please don't ask what the relative value of my personal shares are worth. Not a lot. Trouble with Cathay is it's got no domestic market. Well, actually, so Hong Kong has got no domestic market, unlike the USA, for example. Cathay, in the first six months, carried only 5% of the passengers that they carried pre-pandemic. Flights to and from China are okay, but the main problems are that international travel restrictions and quarantine are still very limiting. For example, I'm double vaccinated, living here in the UK, and if I took a passenger flight back to Hong Kong, I'd have to spend three weeks in quarantine. Who wants to do that? The crew also, and this is a big limitation, generally have to spend two weeks in quarantine if they fly with other passengers. Another problem of the low vaccination rate in Hong Kong. Only 50% of the Hong Kong Chinese have gone off and got themselves fully vaccinated. That means there are still tight social distancing rules. And uh, although they currently do have low case numbers after their third wave last winter, Hong Kong is still very restricted. Looking at some of my friends who are on the Boeing 777 still, Pilots in uh, Hong Kong, which actually would be the same if the UK base was still operating, on average, they haven't flown a 777 for the last 14 months. Big problem for Cathay. Freight's pretty positive. However, it's still only half the level it was pre-pandemic. Another downside that nobody saw was that they trained 110 captains over to the Boeing to do the freighter, and about 80 of them have quit, or they've been laid off, or they're some of the base pilot that the Reuters news article talks about. So they've lost 80 out of 110 captains. 
From the pilot's point of view, there's not much point in returning to Hong Kong if you're on a base. You've always needed expat allowances if you're somebody like me. Hong Kong in 2021 was the second most expensive city for an expat to live in the world. By the way, it was beaten by Ashgabat, which is in Turkmenistan, which I can't even pronounce. Housing, for example, is super expensive. If you want to live in a half-decent place, it's super, super expensive. You've got to put your kids into international schools. So basically, most expats wouldn't leave their home country. Especially if they go from base back into Hong Kong, they've got to go on to the new Hong Kong contract, which, as I've already said, is about one-third cut in basic salary and the expat allowances are gone. In short, if you're a basey and the base folds, you're going to stay in your home base country because it's probably offering better job opportunities. Now, the problem is to be a pilot in Hong Kong, you need to be a permanent resident. And a lot of base pilots may not have been there for seven years in Hong Kong, so therefore they don't qualify for permanent residency. If you look at it from Hong Kong's point of view, there are probably about 300 Hong Kong pilots who need jobs. They got laid off last year. They're the uh, ex-Cathay uh, Dragon pilots, for example, and also the second officers that got laid off from Cathay under seniority and redundancy rules. They're now hiring uh, some of those ex-Cathay Dragon pilots as direct entry first officers. Bypass problem with that is that the Cathay Pacific second officers, who have been waiting maybe six years to get an FO slot and maybe got 5,000 ex- hours experience, they're being bypassed by direct entry FOs. The political situation in Hong Kong has not improved. For example, I know four people in prison uh, who are there because of the new security law that you probably read about. These aren't people like students who were throwing firebombs at the police. This is the equivalent of the opposition party, i.e. the Republicans, if you're in America, or here, Labour. They've been done for plotting to overthrow the government. Actually, all they were trying to do was, okay, where are we going to put our resources uh, to maximise our chances in the next election? They haven't been proven guilty yet, but they've been put in prison under the security law, and guess what? There's no bail. So just sit there for a year, and we'll uh, think about taking you to court in a year's time. This whole political situation has led to an exodus of Hong Kong citizens, and uh, one figure is that 90,000 have left in the last year. That's actually a Hong Kong figure, uh, which is about 1% of the population. And, you know, even myself, I've assisted one friend that I knew 20 years ago come and resettle their family in the UK here. If you view the um, Reuters article holistically, the pilots have got to feed their families, so they're going to work elsewhere and take the best job going. And also airlines have to survive, otherwise they can't offer jobs to pilots anyway. So I'm afraid uh, some aspects of uh, coronavirus really are still digging deep and hurting hard. Thanks for giving me the opportunity to uh, put another perspective on a boring news article. It wasn't boring to me. This is Hong Kong Nigel wishing you all safe travels. No, thank you very much, uh, Nigel. That uh, really helps put things in perspective, gives us a lot more detail about what's happening there with the base closures at Cathay. And I don't think it's boring at all. I think it's very illustrative of um, 
just how things are very different in different parts of the world. I think here in the U.S. we're kind of insulated against all of that. Sure, we haven't been doing a lot of international travel, but um, there's certainly things are, you know, comparatively relatively open and our domestic um, travel situation is definitely on the rebound. It's just interesting to hear how many restrictions are still in place in other places. Yes, I agree. Thanks again, Nigel and uh, main man Micah for uh, suggesting that we cover this news item and suggesting that Nigel um, give his thoughts. What a team, huh? Oh, yeah. I mean, this is Micah's show, isn't it? Well, yes. Uh, Well, according to Leo Laporte, this. (laughs) Exactly. Exactly. (laughs) And you're doing a fine job, main man Micah. We love you, Micah. Yeah, we do. Uh, let's see. Why don't we're going to skip C stuff. We're going to, yeah, that makes sense. Uh, kind of sure. save that one for, uh, when yep. Rick is with us. Um, let's go to D and this is, this is pretty crazy. uh, let's see yesterday and Azul ATR 72 was lifted by extreme winds over 148 kilometers per hour, 80 knots while parking at Moringa airport. Moringa. Yep. Maringa. Okay, say that Maringa. again. Maringa. Okay. I don't know. I don't oh, speak Nice rolling of the R's. I like that. Uh, airport in the Brazilian state of Parana. 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 I don't know. Near the border with It's probably totally Paraguay. different in Portuguese. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Sure. Yeah. Um, let's see. On Wednesday, September 8th, the regional airport of Maringa registered... Registered strong winds of nearly 150 kilometers per hour, approximately 80, 81 knots, something like that. According to meteorological reports, the Brazilian state of Orana is currently facing a cold front associated with an extra extra tropical cyclone. Not just a regular tropical cyclone, an extra tropical cyclone. This has led to extreme winds, heavy rain, and thunderstorms. Yesterday, one of these strong winds caught a parked Azul ATR-72 registration Papa Romeo Tango Kilo Juliet. We can see how the wind is slowly moving the aircraft and its six-bladed propellers on several videos on social media. Uh, the regional newspaper UOL got a statement from Moringa Airport, which stated that Azul had to cancel a flight to Sao Paulo Campinas International Airport due to the storm. It added the aircraft was alone without passengers due to the circumstances faced by the strong winds. The airplane entered into a preventative maintenance routine to check for possible failures. Azul put all the passengers on subsequent flights. Now, there was uh, some tweets and some videos taken, and I believe I have one all just set up for us to uh, take a gander at and we're going to hit this thing here add to stream okay there we see the uh incident airplane and we're not getting any audio hang on let me see if i can fix that okay here we go (laughs) ntm wow wow really sounds wow look at that um airplane's kind of listing to its side. Wow, it seems like it's getting stronger. Huh. All right. So that's 92 mile an hour winds for those who don't do knots and or kilometers per hour. Well, who doesn't do knots or kilometers per hour? Come on. I don't know. Some people, I guess. Yeah. That's a very high winds. Um, hurricane uh, category winds. Mm-hmm. And um, probably, is that a Cat 2, I think? Yes. Yeah. Okay. 
Anyway. I think 100 miles an hour is category three. So just under cat two. Oh, okay. Or just under cat three. So, um, yeah, I had some fun with that and got a little sound <laughs> clip from um, <laughs> the Wizard of Oz. Oh, Dorothy, Dorothy wasn't there? Toto. No. But it just that's the first thing I thought of when I was looking at the video. I, th- I was thinking of the movie and the, tor- uh, the yeah, the twister in uh, the Wizard of Oz. <sighs> anyway. Um, oh, I'm sorry. Category two is 96 miles an hour to 110. Oh, okay. So I not I quite. Just so confidently. Almost category two wins. That's another is put windy. that out there. Should correct myself. Yeah. All right. Um, very good. So that was an interesting predicament. But I guess the uh, yeah, the airplanes obviously are meant to, you know, be in high winds. Uh, maybe not. Generally, not on the ground though. Not on the ground. No. Definitely not. Anyway, anything else about here? It just said that uh, I guess it looks uh, like the airplane's going to be okay. It's just going to take it out for be taken out of service just to do some checks, just to make sure. Sure, I think that's very reasonable. It is. Mm-hmm. Okay, let's move on. This one, E, a pilot uses their flight path to spell "never forget." across NorCal skies 20 years after September 11th attacks. And this is from the KCRA.com. And I think KCRA, isn't that in Sacramento, California? Yeah, this looks like it was in Sacramento. Okay, very good. Look at the map. Oh, look at that. Yeah, sure enough. Um, Let's see. Do we have, yep, we're uh, showing that overlay. Vacaville, California. Ah, I used to live in Vacaville, actually. Um, it's Vacaville, not Vacaville. It's, they call it Vacaville uh, okay, in California, but Vaca probably would be the pr- correct uh, Spanish pronunciation. No, it's however they pronounce it. Vaca is a cow, so it's Cowtown, basically. Cowtown. A pilot in Northern California used his flight path Saturday to spell out the words "never forget." I just said that. Major Christopher Price has been serving in the uh, Air Force since 2003. Price earned his wings at the Nuttree Airport in his hometown of Vacaville just a week before he was shipped off to basic training. I've actually flown out of uh, Nuttree Airport in a long easy uh, with a fellow oh, that's interesting. Air Force officer yeah. when I was out mm-hmm. there. Um, Price took off uh, from Nuttree Saturday morning at 10.45 a.m., landed two hours and 22 minutes later. There was no smoke from the plane, but the, wind, the words are visible by looking at the flight path tweeted by Flight Radar 24. The path started in Vacaville and took the pilot north to the Calusa area before turning around. When I need time to unwind, I go flying in my airplane that I built, Price told KCRA3 about the experience. So that was my goal today, to just unwind and reflect. The inspiration for the tribute came from the newly released Netflix documentary, Turning Point, which Price and his wife, Katie, watched on Friday night. Last night, when we were sitting there watching the documentary, I drew up the flight plan and drew all the letters and thought, this is something I could do. It would give me time to think and give something back to say. We're still thinking of you. Price spent nearly a decade on the ground serving in Afghanistan and Iraq before he would go on to become an officer and a military pilot. He now lives in Vacaville with his wife and their three children. Very cool. Yeah. Well done. Nice tribute. Yes. He has excellent penmanship, I'd say. And Mm -hmm. that will do it for our part one news segment. And that means get get ready for those lyrics, Liz. I'm ready. Okay, you're all ready to go, so let me hit this. Getting to know us. Getting to all 
all about you. Getting to like you, getting to hope you like me. Getting to know you, putting it my way, but nicely. You are precisely. It is a little bit too high for me. My <laughs> cup of tea. Somebody mentioned that on the last show. They said, that's way. That's a, way too high for me. A, that that key is a little bit of out of out of Jeff's range, and and yeah. it's it's a little bit. It's like if I try to drop down an octave, it doesn't work either. So it doesn't yeah. matter what range, what key they put it in. It would be out of my range. Oh yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, all right. Well, that is the time of our show where we get together and talk about what's been happening with each of us between uh, episodes. So, uh, Steph, uh, I know it hasn't been that well. Let's see if with you it has been. What was that? Uh, was that Tuesday that we uh, recorded last yeah, week? I think it was last Tuesday. Maybe. Oh, yeah. That was like a week ago. Yeah, it was. Okay. Okay. Well, there you go. So I, I I would suppose that a lot of things, a lot of stuff has happened between now oh, and then with you. A few things have happened. Okay. Um, kind of a nice uh, segue from that last new segment about the September 11th tribute and the pilot. Um, yeah. I went to um, went up to Rhode Island for the weekend, actually. Uh, why Rhode Island, you ask? Well, because- oh, wait. Why Rhode Island, I ask. Thank you. Thank you for asking. Sure. Uh, let me tell you. Okay. Went to Rhode Island because I was participating in a relay uh, along with two of my dear friends who do a lot of running and also my youngest brother. Um, it's organized by a friend of ours who uh, just basically this was the second annual uh, edition of this relay. It starts in Boston and ends up in Santa Monica, California over like 36 days or something along those lines. So last year we did it in October. We went out to um, New Mexico and oh, yeah. – has it already been Arizona. a year? Not quite. It started a little earlier this year because okay. we wanted to do it more as a uh, fundraising event for first responders, firefighters, um, police officers, that type of thing. So the, the at least the beginning part of the relay this year went from firehouse to firehouse um, uh, through New England gotcha. and into New York. Uh, so that was, that was really nice. Uh, we flew into Boston on Saturday morning, but my flight path took me directly over New York City. Um, sorry, I had a prompt to update some sort of program running in the background. I don't want to do that right now. Yeah, That's not that good now. timing. <laughs> uh, but our flight path from Charlotte up to Boston took us over to New York City, and it was nine o'clock in the morning, and it was crystal clear, amazing day. Um, and that just felt, on September 11th, so that just felt kind hmm. of- um, A weird? Yeah, it was eerie. It was somber, you know? To, mm-hmm. And of course, no one else had their window shades open. I think probably myself and the pilots were the only people on the airplane looking down and- um, kind of reflecting and being contemplative. Um, I almost wish the pilots had made a, an announcement because um, it was it was so clear. It was just really a, a pretty beautiful day. Um, so that was kind of interesting. And then um, met up with my, my brother and my friends in Boston, and we uh, basically jumped in a rental car and drove down to Providence, Rhode Island, where we took part in this relay in the afternoon and evening, each of us running anywhere from six miles to... I think the longest segment was nine and a half miles. Um, but I ran two segments and my brother ran two segments. So we both did close to 17 miles for our long runs. And then we spent um, the following day, we went to the Beaver Tail State Park, uh, which was, uh, it's pretty close to Newport, Rhode Island. So we went there first and had uh, lunch right on the water. It was very windy. It was like 30 knot sustained winds. Not as not as windy as it was in uh, that town in Brazil <laughs> with a, mm-hmm. 
the aircraft being lifted up off the ground. Yeah. Uh, but it still felt pretty breezy and had a nice, uh, I think most of us had lobster rolls because, I mean, went in because. Rome, right? Yeah. And then we went over and kind of explored the state park and it was really neat. It had the kind of this very rocky shoreline, some tide pools, an old lighthouse, a little museum talking about some of the lighthouse features, a small aquarium um, that didn't seem to have very many native species in it. They were all from like somewhere else. Hmm. Uh, but it was, a, it was a really nice afternoon. Uh, nice to spend time with friends and family. And that's, aside from work, basically what I did for the uh, the weekend. All right. Very good. Yeah. Yeah, I ran like, I don't know, 20 miles or something like that. Yeah. No, How'd it go? Really. Oh, good. yeah. Well, yeah. very well. Excellent. <sighs> no, I don't. I don't run anymore. Stu is not walking, though. Yeah. I do walk. Yeah. Yeah. It's been a while since I've walked, though. I uh, I haven't been very good about that lately. Glad to hear you can still walk. Yes. All right. Um, well, what have you been up to? Well, it hasn't been. That thanks long for since. asking. <laughs> uh, I flew to. a trip last week. What days? Like Wednesday through Friday, I think. Right. Yeah. That sound right? Yeah. And on. Uh, oh yeah. With Rick. First uh, day was nice and easy. One leg from Atlanta to Asheville, North Carolina. Not a long flight. It's like a 39-minute flight, I think. And um, met up with Cheryl and her fiancé, Chris, for lunch in Asheville at Rosetta's uh, Kitchen, which is a really good vegetarian uh, restaurant. Is that and, downtown? Yeah. Oh, okay. I have not been there. And uh, it was nice. And we got to talk a lot get i learned a lot about cheryl and her fiance and you know what she does and her interest in aviation and all that kind of stuff. she told me to tell everybody hi on the crew hi for cheryl. Her and uh chris and um let's see then we uh have a drink in the evening with jj well i did uh liz i uh went back to the but but first i had already coordinated uh, a meetup with my first officer and he said um, he knew exactly what he was going to do in Nashville. He said, "I'm going to Wicked Weed." Yep. And, uh, and I like your first officer already. Yeah, he's great. <laughs> and uh, his name is Michael, Michael Brewbaker, and Acme Airlines. Um, and uh, so I met him downstairs at five o'clock. We walked over to Wicked Weed Brewing, and uh, not only do they have awesome beer, but they have really good food too. So oh, the food's so good. Yeah. Was it bar. really crowded? Um, yeah, it was That's it was decently good. crowded. crowded. Yeah. And we yeah, in fact, uh we were lucky to find a space at the bar, I believe. Mm-hmm. And uh then I uh, we walked back to the hotel and uh, a little bit later on uh, because Jordan couldn't meet earlier in the day, um we um uh met in the uh, lobby of the uh, hotel and uh, uh I said, you know, just I'll be hanging out at the bar, <laughs> which is kind of a common thread for me for some reason. Um, anyway. And, uh, so I, I ordered myself a beer and was waiting for him to arrive. And then he came up and I said, you know, just tell the bartender, whatever you want. And he, he was drinking club soda and I'm thinking, Oh, maybe he just doesn't drink. And then I realized his, he's 20 years old. <laughs> he's not drinking it. <laughs> and yeah, so that's why, yeah. um, a really, really nice young man. Uh, he calls himself JJ from Asheville. We got a lot of JJs. Right. JJ from Pittsburgh, JJ not Pittsburgh, and then mm-hmm. JJ from Asheville. And uh, 
anyway, he, uh, he was telling me that he uh, used to work um, at the airport for uh, for Acme, uh, a, a separate company, but doing the ground handling and that kind of thing. And that he's uh, still wanting to stay connected to the uh, aviation industry. He's not presently working out at the airport, but uh, he does have plans to uh, to pursue a career in aviation. So anyway, very impressive uh, young gentleman. Um, and uh, I'm sure that he's going to have an, an amazing career, an amazing life. So very nice guy. So uh, that was uh, the first day of the trip, Wednesday. And then the next day, uh, really, really hard day, uh, Asheville to Atlanta and then Atlanta to Dayton, Ohio. Again, Ooh, a relatively short taxing. flight. Yeah, it was tough. How we do you in, even manage? We were in like before 11 o'clock in the morning. Listeners, have I mentioned before that I think I'm in the wrong field? Like you have. You have. And, okay. I, and I've uh, I've agreed with that. Fair enough. Um, and have encouraged you to think about it. Anyway, um, so I got to meet up with um, a an APG community member, listener, uh, Paul Verhagen, or Verhagen. Uh, he lives in the Cincinnati, Cincinnati area. Right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And he uh, drove up to Dayton and uh, learned that's that. That's not too uh, bad of a drive. No, it's really think. not. And yeah. he, I think he lives on the north side of town anyway. Oh, so I think it was just, uh, you know, around an hour, maybe just a little under that. And uh, he told me about the fact that uh, has quite a bit of family history in Dayton. I think that he lived there or his family did. And his dad was a doctor in one of the big hospitals there. And uh, he was uh, telling me all kinds of uh, interesting stuff about Dayton and growing up there and stuff. So um, we went over to uh, Smokin' Barbecue. Uh, which is a really good um, barbecue place there in Dayton. If you're ever, if you're ever there, you should check it out. And so we had a nice lunch, and uh, he said that uh, he had communicated with uh, you, uh, Steph, about getting together sometime. And I think he's met up with uh, Rick uh, mm-hmm. in Cincinnati. So uh, just a good guy. Um, yeah, we'll make it happen sometime. Oshkosh too. Yeah, he was at Oshkosh uh, 2019. That's right. That's right. Yeah. So uh, it was nice seeing uh, Paul. Look forward to seeing him again. And uh, then the next day was going to be a really tough day. We were going to go to Atlanta, and then I was going to have to go all the way out to Des Moines, Iowa. I'm back. Jeez, how I know. I, I like feel a, so terrible for almost you. Almost a two-hour flight. And your schedule. And uh, so I'm, I was in the uh, on on the day two um, from the hotel to the. I mean, from the airport to the hotel in Dayton. I got a a telephone call, and I answered it and said, "Yeah." And he said, hey, this is uh, so-and-so. For, uh, he's a management pilot. And he said that uh, he was wondering if I wouldn't mind uh, selling him or him buying my last two legs of my trip, the Des Moines turn. How long did you think about it? Not very long. Actually, I did say, <laughs> well, here, let me, because uh, I'm in the van and uh-huh. Michael's right in front of me. And I sure, said, well, sure. I'm going to have to confer with my first officer to make sure it's okay with him. It's very considerate. Yes. And uh, he said, yeah, I guess so. <laughs> So, uh, yeah, I just one leg back on Friday morning uh, to Atlanta. So that was a easy peasy trip for sure. Nice. And good weather and all that. So it was yeah. wonderful. If, it could, if they could all be like that, man, I do this all the time. Anywho. Um, oh. Uh, you recorded with Rick? Pardon me? Oh, yeah. Later that night, uh, we did the part two with uh, with Rick. And, uh, nice. Got that all knocked out. Evening? Oh yeah, uh, thank you. Uh, Liz is telling me all the stuff that I never wrote down in this little. <laughs> That's okay. I thought of something else section. for myself too, but keep going. I'll, okay. I'll add my other thing at the end. All right, we'll bookend. I it. Totally. Yeah, perfect. <laughs> uh, so the um, she was making the point that you did a lot of singing, Jeff, and you sang in a 
uh, an evening prayer uh, service for uh, to kind of um, remember the uh, the fallen in the uh, September 11th attacks in 2001, and it was really nice. We uh, we had a small group of uh, uh, of singers and musicians, and uh, I think we we did it justice. And it was very solemn, and and it was nice to sing in that. And then the next day, I sang um, at the uh, vigil mass on Saturday, and then on Sunday a couple of masses and uh, my standard thing. And uh, then uh, ended up uh, coming back here, up here to the cabin on Monday. So that's it. Pretty much uh, all I've done. Oh, I've heard a little birdie uh, in my ear, uh, not Liz, a different birdie, uh, told me some exciting news. Tom Catalino, who I believe is a patron, uh, has just, uh, or I'm sorry, he said that he joined us. Yeah, I've met up with Tom Catalino several times in uh, the Syracuse area. He just passed his private check ride. So that definitely Woo-hoo. calls for this little sound clip here that says applause. Yay. Let it go, Tom Catalino. We knew you could do it. I think it wasn't that long ago that we were, uh, I think it was in June or something like that. He had his first solo. So, Oh, nice. Way to go. That, was pretty, that was pretty quick. Yeah. Not what she said, hopefully. Yeah. Not what she said, hopefully. Yeah, you're right. Anyway, and then uh, just a reminder, there is a meetup uh, scheduled for October now in um, Fargo, North Dakota, and they're going to be meeting at the Fargo Jet Center on Saturday, October 9th at 12 p.m., and then they're going to have lunch at the uh, Shack on Broadway located near the Fargo Airport with a possible trip to the Fargo Air Museum. It's a family-friendly event. For those interested in attending, please direct message uh, Kelly on Slack, or you can send an email to us here at the APG uh, feedback at airlinepilotguide.com, and then we'll relay the information to Kelly. And he said, if you're flying in, please let him know uh, your tail number of your airplane and a head count so he can tell the FBO how many tie downs are needed and the restaurant how many seats they're going to need. And uh, yeah, so there you go. Um all right. Yeah, sounds like fun. As well. yes. So I did forget to, are you, is that everything on your end? No, nope, not as quite. You know? uh, oh, okay. I was going to mention I, Nick sorry. would have done this. Uh, he would mention the Fargo meetup. Nope. And Fair, uh, Fair Oaks, Oaks, I'm sorry. Fargo was the other one. Fair Oaks, uh, it's confusing to me. They both They're both very similar. Off. Yes. Uh, the, the Fair Oaks meetup in uh, Woking um, on the 25th of September at the Hangar Cafe, Fair Oaks Airport, Woking in Surrey. Which, by the way, uh, on Slack, they were talking about the fact that um, uh, Fair Oaks is uh, very close to the headquarters for McLaren racing team, Mm. the uh, Formula One uh, team. And uh, by the way, this past Sunday, uh, one of their drivers uh, won the – and and actually, they're one and two, McLaren drivers uh, – Ricardo, uh, Danny Ricardo uh, from Australia – uh, was uh, uh, position one. He won the thing. And then uh, Lando Norris, who I believe is also from Woking, but I know that McLaren is Woking. Um, uh, they, he took in second position. And uh, Botas uh, from the uh, Mercedes team. Oh, this is not an F1 uh, po- podcast, sorry. Anyway, uh, but uh, one of the- We appreciate uh, the recap. One Thank of you. the gentlemen. For those of us who are never going to watch welcome. it. Thank now, you. Uh, the reason why I'm mentioning it is that uh, Danny Ricardo, when he wins a podium- 
Um, he takes the champagne at the very end and pours it into his racing shoe. And then he drinks from the shoe, the champagne, and they have uh, called that a shoey. And so hmm. somebody in the, in the Slack group said, Nick, are we going to expect a shoey from you? So I put in my little comment, shoey, shoey, shoey. So I'm hoping that uh, somebody will have a, a shoe and some champagne for, uh, for Nick. Don't to, let us uh, down, dear listeners. Yes, please don't let us down. Anyway, so that's what I wanted to say about and get some video. that. And also, um, let's talk about last episode's cover art. Uh, Liz, you want to throw that up there? Yeah. Okay. And it was episode 488, and the uh, title of the of the episode, a very interesting title. Uh, let's see, what was it? Uh, vodka burner, dot, 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 and runaway, runway, gopher. And so that was the, uh, and obviously self-explanatory, the uh, cover art there, the uh, uh, Aleutian or some type of uh, Russian airplane with a couple of uh, vodka bottles um, igniting and uh, a groundhog popping up from the runway uh, saying, what's that? <laughs> anyway, very cute. Uh, nice job, Nick, on the cover art. And we also have some uh, feedback from Nick. But before we go to Nick, we're going to talk to Steph again because she remembered something that she forgot to tell us about. Oh, yeah. I did do some flying um, just a little bit on Friday evening. Oh, yeah. You they did that had demo, a, right? Yeah, demo jump. So, of course, Nick goes, what's a demo? Well, demonstration parachute jump. So, um, it was the, I think it was the first home game for the local high school football team, very close to our drop zone. Um, and they wanted to have someone parachute in with a, with an American flag while they played the national anthem. So I was the pilot for that event. And how'd that Fair go? Amount of, uh, very good, actually. Um, surprisingly, even though this was only like six miles away from, uh, the drop zone. So you take off and head over there. It's like a three minute flight. Um, a fair amount of coordination. Um, it's outside of the Bravo, but you still have to have permission. Uh, there's some paperwork that's submitted to the FISDO, and then you have to call an hour in advance and make sure that they have it and it's still approved and they can accommodate it with the workload. Um, and apparently the paperwork didn't get submitted correctly. So there was some little bit of scramble trying to Yikes. email that last minute. I said, well, I have it right here in my hand. It says it's stamped approved. Yeah. Like, well, we didn't get it. Like, well, I'm glad that Columbia yeah. didn't talk to Charlotte, but hmm. um, apparently that's another story entirely. But we got all squared away and, um, yeah, had a very nice um, demonstration jump. Just one jumper, um, jumped the flag into the high school, and that all went well. It was a beautiful night for it. Calm wind, um, very clear, and it looked like everyone enjoyed it. Calm winds. That's a good thing for uh, skydivers, right? Uh Sometimes um, your ground speed ends up being a little bit faster. Uh -huh. So sometimes oh, it's nice to have not. a little bit of a steady headwind. Yeah. Okay. Kind of like flying. It's nice to have a little yeah. bit of a headwind. Is it? Okay. Yeah. Tailwind? No. Headwind. For landing. For landing. Yes, for landing. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. In my in my mind, that's what I was thinking. No. Okay. Sorry. I was just making sure we were talking about online. on landing. <laughs> yeah. On landing. Yes. Generally en route, tailwind. Yeah. Yes. Mm -hmm. Yep. Okay. Uh, excellent. And if you remember anything else, just uh, just chime in, Steph. No, that's it. It All was right. in the uh, we we flew that in the little one eighty two. Okay, so let me do this. I'm going to add this to the stream, and I'm going to back it up a little bit there. 
And uh, that is Captain Nick, and he sent us some audio as well. So and we're his gonna, dog, Rusty. And Rusty, his dog. And, but his dog's not Rusty. Well, I mean, he is, but he's not like Rusty like that. She? She. She, she I'm sorry. Um, <laughs> yeah. Okay. Um, Just keeping us above that 50%. Yeah. Of course, nobody would have known except for Nick. Um, he would have pointed it out, though. Yeah, I know. All right. But anyway, here's the audio feedback from Nick. Hello, Jeff and crew. It's Captain Nick here. Sorry I couldn't be on the show this week, but uh, the lovely wife, um, uh, quite rightly, has said time we had a little holiday. So we're down in Cornwall, one of our favorite areas, um, because we can take the dogs and uh, it's very beautiful. Um, And we're at a gorgeous day. uh, So we decided to head out to St. Nectar's Glen. Uh, I don't know much about that particular saint, but his glen is gorgeous. I mean, there is uh, a lovely big waterfall, lots of rock formations, very spiritual feel to the place. Um, So I think a lot of people come down here looking for comfort um, and to be at one with nature. And there's no doubt about it, it's a very pretty spot. Uh, there's a bit of background noise from the waterfall, but uh, I'm sure you won't mind that too much. Anyway, don't want to uh, take too long. Uh, I'll be back on the show next week. We'll certainly be back home next week anyway. I uh, don't know what I'm going to do for a plane tail, but we'll have to wait and see. Um, best regards to all our wonderful listeners. Love to all you guys. And uh, see you before too long. Cheers. All right. Excellent. That was uh, nice to hear from Nick. We miss you. And look yeah. forward to you joining us uh, on next week's show, Nick. And uh, let's see. Anything else to talk about here in his section? Coffee fund. Coffee fund. Yeah, we need to talk about that. Well, uh, I'll I'll do a little uh, a little ditty uh, that we call the uh, APG Java Jive. But did you do the overlay? Um, hang on, you'll find out why. Okay. I have All no right. overlays there, okay. Liz. Okay. Um, but it's a good question that she has. Uh, let me hit the uh, coffee fund here. Johnny, how much more coffee? Sure thing. Coffee, I love tea. I love the APG community. Coffee and tea and the Java and me. A cup, a cup, a cup, a cup, a cup. Oh yeah, that's Jeff Smith. He does our opening theme, the uh, airline pilot guy theme, and the Java Jive APG version, and uh, so much more. Thank you, Jeff. Uh, the Coffee Fund is your way to participate in the show in a financial way, to support us that way. A couple of different ways to do it. One is called the Coffee Fund Classic Method, which is uh, used for if you just want to do a one-off or two-off, or you can even do a recurring donation through uh, PayPal, the Cap- Coffee Fund Classic Method, if you'd like. And the other way to do it is to become a patron of the show via patreon.com. And uh, basically, you sign up to... Uh, pledge a certain amount per episode and you can specify a maximum uh, per month and then uh, yeah you get to uh, get little perks like uh, the crew logs and such 
So, and, you know, basically, regardless of whether you give a little or you give a lot, and we have some that are giving quite a bit, um, you know, you get the satisfaction of supporting something that you love, kind of like a, a value for value kind of system. So if you're interested in that, head over to airlinepilotguy.com slash coffee. You'll be glad you did. And we will, too. You mean those crew logs like the one Steffi does all the time? I'm not going to say a thing, Liz. Okay. <laughs> say what? <laughs> Nothing. Fair enough. Um, you'll have to listen to the audio only to hear what Liz had. Mm. Um, let's see. Oh, and the reason why I didn't do any overlays, Liz, is because we didn't have anybody uh, between last that show. After you. <laughs> yeah. I, I was actually, I, I dove right in and thought, okay, no, I'm going to do the, uh, the coffee fund overlays. And then I went, oh, all right. Uh, it hasn't been a long time between uh, this episode and the last. And uh, so it was a little quiet on the, on the coffee fund front, coffee fund front. There we go. Ah, not easy for me to say. All up there. Yeah, <laughs> true. Okay. So, uh, do we need to take a short break? Uh, I don't Steph? think so. No. no. You good? I mean, we're not going to go. Right. It's about an hour now. Yeah. Almost. I'm thinking that I have, I have a little bit more left of my pale ale. I should, that should get me to the plain tail, I believe. Yes. Okay. All right. With that, let's cue the feedback bumper. Captain. Incoming message. Okay, the first item in part one feedback is from JJ Pittsburgh, one of those JJs we were talking about earlier. Uh, he sent us some audio feedback, so take it away, JJ Pittsburgh. Hello, APG crew. It's JJ Pittsburgh here. Um, I am considering, I don't know if this will happen, it all depends on how the stars align or whatever, but. Um, Considering a trip to London in November, and I um, possibly, I mean, if I do this, I'm going to hang out with Captain Nick, it seems like, um, or working that out if this does happen. But my question was, um, you know, I've never traveled anywhere other than U.S. and Canada, so um, what are the top tips that you would say? for flying overseas um, and what to do when I get there. Like, do I need, um, I know there's some things with like cell phone service that I would have to do if I end up in London and um, things like that, things to know about, maybe some tips um, for a first time traveler out that way. Um, Anyway, who better to reach out to than the good, fine people at the APG who do a heck of a lot of traveling, especially um, Dr. Steph, who at the drop of a hat will end up in Europe and no one will even know about it. So um, anyway, figured I'd reach out. It's been a while. Um, Hope everyone's well and hope to talk to you soon. Peace and love, peace and love. Namaste. I'm JJ that. Pittsburgh. I don't know what you're talking about. That doesn't sound like me at all. Wait, traveler, Dr. Steph? No. Actually, I have not been on an overseas trip since March of last year. 
Yeah, but I'm feeling out of March practice. of last year and before, you were doing it a lot. Quite a lot, yes. And you can probably remember some things about it sure. that you might be able to help JJ with. Yep. Well, the UK is a first, a uh, good first place to travel if you're from the United States, um, because, because there's they not speak a language, a language barrier. Is very similar to ours. Very similar. It's not exactly the same. You no. might be confused at a few of the um, some of the vernacular and the jargon, um, but you can usually get it from context. And if you ask a question politely, you might um, find out the answer without too much griping. Um, With a polite answer, maybe. Yes. Not likely. Yes. Not quite as now, bad as New York. Depends on depends on who you're asking. <laughs> yeah, it's Captain Nick. Forget it. All bets are off. Just going to be met with rude uh, interjections. Anyway, <laughs> um, let's start with that cell phone uh, issue because that's a good question. Um, fresh underwear. Yes, I have boxes. <laughs> I would I would hope that any traveler to any location would take fresh underwear. <laughs> um, but the cell phone question is a good one because. Um, not everyone has a cell phone plan that includes international roaming or minutes, um, data plans. Depends on who your carrier is. So I would actually, um, in advance of your trip, uh, go to see your, uh, stop into the store uh, for your cell phone carrier and take a look at what their options are. So in my specific case with T-Mobile, um, they have a package that you can add on to um, whatever your regular um services. I think it's $15 a month. $5 oh, I thought it was just included 15. with all the T-Mobile plans. It it's depends not. on the plan, but you can oh, add it on. Okay. Um, I might be wrong. They, they may have changed that, wow. but I think it's an add-on. Okay. Um, but you can do it by the month. So you don't have to keep it on if you're not going to continue traveling. Yeah. Um, so check with your carrier, see if they offer something like that, because that will make a big difference if you plan to use your cell phone a lot. And let's be honest, who doesn't use their cell phone a lot in all facets of life anymore? Mm-hmm. Um, it's AT&T pretty easy to find. has that same kind of same plan thing. as well. Yeah, where you can would, turn it on and off. willing to guess that most of the major carriers have something right. similar to that. So just check with them. I'm sure the information's on the website or stop into the store. They can usually help you out with that. Um, but it's definitely worth it. Um, so you don't get a whole lot of overage roaming charges for international data and calls because those can add up quickly. Um, if your plan doesn't offer that, if you have an unlocked phone, you might be able to get a SIM card while you're there. Uh, I don't know if that's super common anymore. Um, I've never had to do that, but that's an option as well. You, um, can probably find Wi-Fi, complimentary Wi-Fi at a lot of hotels and restaurants and, and things like that. And I would definitely suggest if you, for some reason, don't have a lot of data or minutes um, to make sure you know where you're going in advance of setting off on your journey. Uh, so have some maps downloaded and uh, directions as well. That way you're not trying to fumble around with it when you're already en route and realize that you can't figure out where you are or where you're supposed to go. That has definitely never happened to me. <laughs> no. <laughs> no. Um, JJ, don't stay with Nick Plug. Yeah, I was going to say, Nigel has some some advice. Don't yeah. stay with Nick. Yeah. Yes, make sure yeah. you have make sure you have the correct um, um, plugs. And yeah, you could end up your, shorting out people's yeah, logical systems. Yeah. And, and don't plug things yeah, into the bathroom um, in UK in the UK in the, the outlets in the bathroom. Uh huh. Um, like shaver shavers only, I think, in the the bathroom. Uh, Nigel can correct me on that if I'm wrong. And don't forget, I haul boxes, fresh underwear. Uh, fresh underwear. Definitely fresh uh, underwear. Suggestion, of course. Yeah. Um, other than that, there's if you're going to the UK, there's a ton of stuff to do, presuming you're flying into London. Um, just depends on what you're interested in. Plan a little bit in advance, but maybe leave some, some room for uh, adventure. How about um, uh, the question I always wonder about is, should you get local currency or is that really that 
important? Um, so let me tell you about the first time I took an international trip that wasn't to Mexico or Canada. Um, I went to Ireland and I had changed about a hundred dollars. So not very many euros, um, because someone had told me that I could use my debit card at an ATM to retrieve cash. And I said, Oh, that sounds very reasonable. Sure. Um, just with the, you know, accounting for the exchange rate and all of that. Um, but I got there on the 4th of July holiday here and I couldn't get the ATM to work. <laughs> and the reason being is because I had most of my funds in the checking account, but you had to have them in the savings account in order to be able to withdraw them from an international ATM. Really? That's so weird. double check with your That's bank weird. because that might be an issue. I think it's actually still the case with my uh, bank where I do most of my local banking because huh. it's a credit union. Um, but yeah, I, I went like a whole day without any cash, really. That was no. kind of... The good thing about that is that uh, everybody else has to pay for your stuff. Unless you're by yourself, then you can be. I was by myself and I didn't know anybody. Uh, (laughs) Well, it's not great. But you're, yeah, Nick's certainly not going to give you any money. Um, No. So, but you know, most places over there, in my experience, um, you know, you you can use your credit card if you have one. Yeah. I haven't had any issue using a major credit card. Um, Most places have um, contactless payment. So even if you just have your phone, you can use, um, if you have your credit card loaded onto your phone for that purpose, you can do that. Um, excuse me. Um, what else, uh, travel wise, um, customs immigration, that's always kind of a crapshoot. Just, you know, follow, pay attention, follow the signs where you're supposed to go. Hopefully the lines aren't too long. Hopefully it's not a big hassle. Just fill out the paperwork you're supposed to have filled out. So Steph, would you recommend that they, uh, People uh, kind of leave on the early side and allow plenty of time for arriving at the airport, (laughs) going through all the security and everything else, getting to the gate, you know, well ahead of time. Is that what you do? I'm so glad that you asked um, because that's what I recommend. It is not what I do. (laughs) Not what you do. Do what I say. (laughs) Do what I I say, not what I do. Um, (laughs) Yeah, my most, not this past weekend, I actually was at the airport in plenty of time, a full hour before my flight, which is like ridiculous. Yeah, I had to return a car and I had, and I had other friends with me and we were all leaving around the same time and I had my wallet. Um, Definitely, definitely lose your wallet on the way to the airport. That's that's (laughs) a good travel tip. (laughs) And, um, (laughs) no, what was it last Monday? Um, I, uh, yeah, I think I was on the rental car shuttle, uh, going back to the airport when my flight started boarding. So that wasn't stressful at all. Hmm. Um, I probably wouldn't do that. That's not a great plan. Yeah, he was pushing it. Um, Liz had a question about vaccination records for traveling. If you are vaccinated, definitely. So specifically for the UK, and this is um, um, applicable to today, today's date and time and current um, regulations. Um, and I'll probably get this wrong. So feel free to write in and, and correct me because I've looked at it um, just to see, because you never know when I might end up on a plane to Europe. Um, But specifically, if you're going to the UK, if you have both of your, or if you're fully vaccinated, so um, one of the FDA approved shots, if you're traveling from the US, that's the Moderna, Pfizer, two of those shots, um, one of the Johnson & Johnson, or if you, I believe it's, um, have recovered from COVID within the past 30 days, I forget the dates. Um, If you have that documentation, then you can avoid quarantining for um, whatever it is, the 10 days, but you have to have a test on departure, test on arrival. A test at day two, test at day eight, a test before you come back. And they're all slightly different kinds of tests. So definitely go to the applicable government's website to find out what you need to have done on which days. Otherwise, your stay could be in jeopardy. 
Very tasty. And or fines and yeah. other nasty things. Excellent. That's a good question. What else? What other things about travel? Um, I was going to say, you know, going back to the cell phone thing, mm-hmm. even if it costs a little bit more, I mean, you might save a little uh, money by getting like a in-country SIM card and like, a, but you know what? It's just so much hassle to do that. It's just it's so much It's a hassle because then you have to make an extra stop somewhere yeah, when just you get there. Like you use, have to find a store that's open. You have to find something that's compatible with your phone. Um, yeah, if, use, you're, if your carrier use your offers it, international plan. And you know, I mean, even if it's a little bit of a, more expensive, it's just a convenience. Say it's $25. It saves you a lot of hassle. It. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Um, definitely look for flight upgrades, especially on the, um, the trip over. I do find that um, it's really nice on a red-eye flight to be able to sleep fairly comfortably if you have that opportunity. Not always possible. I've definitely done it in the very back of a 777 um, that was quite crowded one time. Um, but still possible to try and yeah, just do whatever you need to do to get as much sleep possible. I find that that works the best going that direction. Then you can kind of get off the plane at you know whatever time of the morning you arrive and hit the ground running and not lose that day of travel. My neighbors prefer to do the opposite. They don't sleep at all. They get to the UK and then they have to sleep for a day and then they're kind of off on their sleep-wake cycles, and that just never seemed super practical to me, but they have a hard time sleeping on airplanes. Um, so if you need assistance with that in some way, shape, or form, neck pillow, maybe a visit to your doctor to see if they have any suggestions for melatonin or other sleep aids that might be beneficial, depending on your situation. And be careful if you uh, decide to use Ambien. Don't uh, be very careful. If don't, you don't drink. I'm not giving any specific <laughs> advice about what types of medications to ask for or yeah. use. That is a conversation to have with your doctor. But yes. um, Ambien, I I will share it personally. I took it one time for, um, it was a flight from Dubai to JFK and it was 13 hours and the majority of it was during daylight hours. And I just felt like I needed to sleep for some segment of that flight. Well, I took the pill and I put a movie on and I'm aware that I passed out, but I don't feel like I ever really slept. Like it did not feel restorative. Hmm. It just and two weeks like later, I was unconscious, she woke up. <laughs> I was unconscious for like six hours, and then you know, and maybe don't eat the fish. Oh, uh-huh. good one. Mm-hmm. Yeah, mm-hmm. as we know from the airplane movie mm-hmm. or airplane the movie. Mm-hmm. All right, good good advice. Well, I'm sure the folks listening right now are thinking, hey. You should have mentioned this. And so- actually, I'll say the most important thing, I think, just go with the flow of things. Um, there will be something that you run into that seems like a snag or a hassle or is not as you expected or might seem inconvenient or worse. Um, but just try to roll with whatever it is that's happening. Keep your frustration level down and Make the most have a much more pleasant experience. Although I don't think J.J. Pittsburgh is a very frustrated type no. of guy, so he'll do fine. I think he has a good personality for yeah. this. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, if uh, you are listening and you think of something that we hadn't thought of, feel free to send us some feedback, uh, audio feedback preferred. But if yeah. if you'd like, what are you? Just what send are your travel tips? Email travel feedback, hacks. Feedback at airlinepilotguy.com. Ooh, one more thing. Can I yeah. add one more thing? Oh yeah. No. Um, no. Okay. okay go Sorry, ahead. I'm just thinking of all these things now. Yeah. Um. Do whatever you can to not overpack. Take basically the, whatever you pack, go back in and take out like a third of it and you'll be fine. And you'll feel, you'll be much happier not toting around your entire wardrobe for the duration of your trip. Yeah. Just make sure you have plenty of clean underwear and clean then you underwear. Can just, the external stuff you can wear over and over and over again. Yes. Or just wear your underwear. Either way, it works. Lots of APG <laughs> merchandise. Why wear it?
Yes. Oh, yeah. Uh, Liz uh, makes a good point. Uh, go to airlinepilotguy.com slash store, I think. I don't know what the actual uh-huh. website is. Do we have underwear is. for sale? Well, we don't have under. Well, I don't, we might. I don't know. I haven't seen it in a while. I haven't seen that page in a while. <laughs> but yeah, uh, we have some APG branded merch there if you want to you know, wear that. Uh, oh, wait a minute. No, never mind. You don't want to be seen in like customs or uh, security wearing any APG related um, stuff. You might be, um, I don't know. They may not be happy with you. You, you might end up in a local jail. Special examination. Yeah, you might no, receive a special examination. <laughs> and if you're into that, go for it. All right. <laughs> uh, righty then. Good stuff. Uh, great uh, feedback. Great question, JJ. Hopefully, uh, we'll give you some more advice as time goes on before you make your venture. Um, next item uh, is from Greg, uh, Dispatcher Greg. He said, uh, for those who have not seen this video, please take the time to watch this. Uh, it's a YouTube video, which we'll have a link to in the show notes. Uh, it was created and produced by Jake Zellman, a dispatcher for Southwest Airlines. However, it focuses on United and American dispatchers on 9-11. The film details the events of the day from a flight dispatcher perspective and the decision-making that may have saved hundreds or more lives. Please take the time to watch it. It's well worth your time. We're not going to play the video here. It's basically um, a bunch of uh, one-on-one interviews with the individual dispatchers and what they experienced that day and how they handled it and how they felt about it at the time and how they feel about it now. So here's a great comment. Sorry. Just looping back from Logan. Oh, Logan makes a good comment. Um, Oops. Sorry. No, sorry. Wrong one. Okay. He said, I got first the last time I had my APG shirt on at the airport. That's what we're talking about. Don't do it unless you're into that. Yes. But you know, I mean, I haven't been touched, but well, okay. (laughs) Maybe I shouldn't go into that. Some of us may actually (laughs) maybe ask him for it, if you know what I mean. All right. Um, Let's see. Where was I? Let's get back to. We're going to go to number eight now. So link in the show notes for the uh, YouTube video. Yes, the YouTube video will be in the show notes. Thank you, Dispatch Greg, for sending it in. By the way, you know, obviously, Dispatch Greg is a dispatcher for, I I don't think I can say who, but it's a. It's a big airline based in Chicago. 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 Okay. Uh, You said to... uh, Number eight. Number eight. Okay. Yes, this is a good one. Um, Oh, yeah. This is a good one. Ties into our news. Yeah. Good point. Um, Hi, guys. This is from Bob. Longtime community member from the pre-100 days. Wow. That was before Steph and Rick and Nick. He's got the syndrome. For Liz. Everybody. I, I was the only one here. <laughs> I was listening. You were listening. listening. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Which that's the uh, miracle. Liz says, and he's still listening. Um, <laughs> you've come a long Bless way. Bless you. Bless your heart, Rob. Yes. Having grown up on Cape Cod, I started reading up on the Cape Air Provincetown runway incident. They are a Part One Thirty Five carrier, yet they run six hundred scheduled flights a day. They are hiring first officers with five hundred hours experience. Only the captains must have fifteen hundred hours. I thought anyone who had scheduled service was a 121 carrier and had to meet the 1,500-hour rules. I've flown them many times and have sat in the right seat as a passenger and was sure to keep my hands to myself. So I'm in the right seat. Uh, what does the first officer do? Could he be the one flying? Thanks for any thoughts. Bob Lufkin. So, you know, I, I was thinking the same thing. Wait, 
they're hiring first officers, but I thought that these, especially the uh, Cessna 402 fleet uh, stuff, uh, were one pilot um, certified airplanes, right? Yes. Um, but well, And work? I don't know all the specifics. So let's first of all go to um, different types of 135 certificate operated operations. Okay. Um, and I don't know all the details. Someone's going to write in and give a much better explanation of, of well, this. But You basically, can do a better job than I can, that's for sure. So go for it. <laughs> all right. So um, there are two different kinds of uh, certificate operating authorities. One is on-demand operations. So those can be conducted in airplanes that have passenger seating configuration of 30 seats or less, a maximum payload of 7,500 pounds, or in any rotorcraft. Um, the restrictions on that particular certificate uh, of operation are less than five round trips per week on at least one route between two or more points according to published flight schedules. No turbojet op- uh, airplanes can be used, and airplanes are limited to a maximum um, – that's weird. Hold on. It said, just said 30 seats. This is nine. I think it's talking about the commuters ones. So um, good job, FAA. This is their <laughs> website and it doesn't make any sense. Um, but anyway, for, specifically for the commuter um, operations. So let's get into that. So 135 can be commuter operations. Um, they may be conducted in airplanes that have a maximum seating configuration of nine seats, maximum payload of 7,500 pounds, any rotorcraft. No turbojet aircraft. A certificate holder with commuter authority can also conduct on-demand operations. Um, so who can be a pilot? Um, so there's this, they go in to define the different scope of Part 135 certificates. Um, so you can be a single pilot operator. So that's the certificate holder um, using only one pilot for all Part 135 operations. So that's basically a very small operation, right? So one one aircraft, one pilot. Um, there's there's that. Um, they can have a single pilot in command um, scope of operation or scope of practice certificate. Um, so that's a certificate holder that is limited to using only one PIC and up to a maximum of three SIC pilots for all Part 135 operations. Um, then there's Part 135 basic, so a maximum of five pilots, um, five aircraft, three different types. Or you can be standard Part 135 certificate holder that does not have preset limits on the available size or scope of operations. They must apply, qualify, and be granted FAA authorization through op specs for each type of operation they wish to conduct. They're required to develop and maintain manuals. Training programs have the required management positions. So that's Cape Air, is that standard Part 135. But again, they've, they meet those restrictions on type of airplanes that can be used. So, All right. And then, yes. Go ahead. I'm sure I made that clear as mud. Yeah. I, hmm? okay. okay. Continue. Maybe you're going to answer my question. Um, so pilot and command qualifications for part 135 operations. Let's skip down to the, the important things. Um, except as provided in paragraph A, there's a lot of stuff here. Um, so holds at least a commercial pilot certificate with appropriate category and class ratings. If required, an appropriate type rating has at least 500 hours of time as a pilot, including 100 hours of cross-country time, at least 25 hours were, were of which were at night. However, um, if you're going to operate under IFR, that changes, and you have to have 1,200 hours of flight time, 500 hours of cross-country flight time, 100 hours of night time, 75 hours of actual or simulated instrument time, and I don't know, this goes on for a long ways here. Clearly I put this all hey, together. Steph, would you do me a favor? Read. Would you go and drink a whole bunch of beer? 
<laughs> and then come back. Well, and then what I'm, re- what I'm trying to get to is that this operation does fall under part 135. But what um, about his question about, um, yeah, so they're hiring first officers with 500 hours. Yes. But if you're flying the Cessna 402 with one pilot, so obviously the pilot mm-hmm. in the left seat is not a first officer. That is a captain because he's the com- he or she is a commander of Correct. the flight, right? So what are the first officers doing? So they could be flying the aircraft. This sounds like a question for Armando. Well, I mean, but where are they? Obviously, every time I've heard somebody talk about their flight on CARE, I mean, Cape Air. They Cape call Air? It, well, they say their call signs CARE. Um, that's the way they, they mm-hmm. uh, use their call signs. Um, they are just, they say. So I think it depends on, it actually depends sit, on the aircraft. They got to sit in the front right seat with in front it of the depends controls. On, it depends on the aircraft. So I okay. know they hire I know they hire um, first officers, I believe, for the 402, but not perhaps for the caravan. Well, I think they have the Technem. They've ordered, put in a oh, big order right. for Technem, or I think that's the name of the company. Um, they're uh, so like, twin engine, high wing. Um, and I think right, that right. that one requires uh, both a captain and first officer. But the 402, I mean, they have a fleet of 80-something of those. Um, I don't think... I mean, do they have different versions of the 402 that some require both pilots and some only require one? Or what's the deal? I'm, I'm thinking I don't know something. I'm scratching my questions. head about this. Uh, but I can assure you, um, uh, Bob, that the flight that you were on, the person that was in the, the pilot, the only pilot on board that airplane, uh, at least in an operation um, um, function, uh, was a captain was not a first officer because you gotta Correct. you have to have an ATP to be, you know, sitting in the left seat and flying. Correct. Uh, as in the, the pilot in command. Um, so it's commonly used as a way to gain additional experience. Yeah, but again, I'm I'm, I'm, I have no idea either because it doesn't seem to make sense to me uh, why they're hiring first officers. It doesn't seem like they have any first officer. But again, they do actually. I'm pretty sure they do. For the I know, but what are they flying then? <laughs> Okay, what do you mean, see. what are they flying? I'm not understanding your question. Okay. First officers will ride right seat until enough experience for single pilot ops. Okay. So it looks like um, that's what I haul boxes is saying. So basically, uh, when you're first hired, um, that seat up front is going to be occupied by a first officer gaining experience and time. And then eventually they'll have enough to get their ATP and then they can. Uh, fly as a captain and they can fly single pilot ops. So that's why maybe the luck of the draw, maybe some of the times you take a Cape air flight, you'll be, uh, you'll have two pilots and sometimes only one. So this is from their website says Cape air uses a normal procedures handbook designed for the 402. This allows for standard operating procedures in single and multi-pilot crews. It provides aircraft specific guidance, similar to that found at 121 carrier carriers. Okay. So, Does that answer your question? I'm still not sure what question you're saying. Um, correct there, Jeff. Yeah, I'm. Um, I I haul boxes answered the question for me. Okay. So yeah, um, yeah. So yeah, I understand that lane. You can fly a 402 from the right seat. It was just why some of the time because every time I've, t- I've talked to somebody that has been a passenger on a Cape Air flight, there's only been one pilot. So I was thinking, oh, okay. what happened to the first officer? <laughs> 
<laughs> so now I get it. Uh, when you're when you're new and you're getting experience, you fly up there, and they have one fewer seat available for passengers. Uh, and all the passengers sit in the regular passenger seats. But if you're lucky, like you or Bob, uh, they they had a single pilot uh, ops going on that day. It was a captain, not a first officer. And you got to sit up front. You got to sit on your hands you in the uh, right front seat. <laughs> Very cool. All right. Well, that was probably a, a lot, lot more difficult than we, than we needed probably. it to be. Probably. I think I misunderstood the question. Oh, that's right. Entirely. Um, so. Let's see. Okay. But he did have the question about um, 1,500-hour rules and scheduled yeah. service and 121. So that's- yeah. So in this case, uh, it doesn't have – I mean, a Part 135, in order to have an ATP, you got to have the 1,500 hours, right? And in order to be a captain – In order to be a captain, you have to have 1,500 hours. Yes, you have to have 1,500 hours and an ATP. So Correct. I guess the way it works is to be a captain in a 135 carrier, you have to have an ATP, Airline Transport Pilot Certificate, and to have an Airline Transport Pilot Certificate, you have to have at least 1,500 hours and you have to be at least 23 years old. I think I got that right. Mm-hmm. All right. So good. here's from their, just to confuse things again. Oh, sure. Why, why not? We finally got it all sorted <laughs> out, Steph. Well, because I want drinking. someone to actually write in and tell us the answer to this question, because I don't think I, I understand don't. I don't even want to talk about this again. Why not? <laughs> Ever. I do. Okay. <laughs> Go ahead. What? They have a, so on their pilot recruiting website, they have um, qualifications for captain, PIC, and first officer. Mm-hmm. Um, so PIC just says commercial multi-engine licenses with instrument, first class medical, 1,200 hours. Mm-hmm. Oh, 1,200, not 500. But then for first officer, it has that listed separately. Oh. 500 hours, commercial multi-engine, instrument, first class medical. Well, that really cleared it up. And then to be captain, you need your ATP. <laughs> Thanks, that's Steph. Why, that's why I'm confused. <laughs> no, no, no. You cannot be confused. You're the one that's supposed to be clearing all this up for us. I'm allowed to be confused sometimes. Uh, Let me have okay. my confusion. All right. I want someone to answer in a... a Logical way. It's uh, Dr. Steph at AirlinePilotGuy.com. <laughs> I think my email's broken. Oh, well, don't yeah. send it to feedback at AirlinePilotGuy.com. <laughs> Jeff is going to throw it right in the trash. <laughs> okay. Just send Let's, it directly along to me because I'd like to know the answer. All right. You can send it to feedback. We'll, we'll get this thing straightened out eventually. Yeah. Okay. okay. Uh, quickly moving on to nine. Uh, Derek sent this in um, just some feedback on an air show. I attended Saturday, the 3rd of September at Bournemouth on the South coast of England. I've sent feedback before regarding the show. It really has become an amazing four day annual event. Apart from last year, of course, the air display, apparently now the biggest in Europe, I think attendance wise, not display wise. So halfway into the show, the aero Superbatics wing walking display team based near Chernchester, I'm guessing, uh, were performing their show when the two planes suddenly flew off into a westerly direction. The air show commentator announced that one of the planes had a technical issue and would need to return to Bournemouth Airport. Well, unfortunately, it did not make the airport. That's a heck and, of a technical issue. Yeah, and one of the uh, did not make the airport, and one of the planes had to crash land into the sea near a pool harbor with the girl still strapped onto the top of the wing. Stand by. Hang on. We have a little bit of an update here. Uh, you can see the link attached. This was a miracle. They both, sur- they both survived. They came down close to the harbor's edge, and luckily lots of small vessels were around. And in fact, the one who came to the rescue was a family in a small dinghy returning from the air show, having seen the Red Arrows perform. The pilot may have saved them both due to his quick thinking, avoiding a potential disaster with time obviously running out. 
The rest of the show was canceled for the day. Thought you might like to share this with your listeners. Thanks again for your amazing show. After all these years, still look forward to it every week. Derek from UK. Derek Form UK. Oh. Um, and I so, think Derek from UK. I know. <laughs> Just wanted to have some fun. <laughs> I, I don't know. Lives, have you been putting up overlay as well as yes. talking? Okay. Yes. And uh, the thing I was going to uh, scroll down to was the correction uh, to his previous email sent on the 9th. Uh, no, the 6th of uh, September. <laughs> that always confuses us Americans. It says 6 9 21. What, June 9th? This hadn't even happened. It's the right way to do dates. I know, Liz. I thought it was strange reading some articles that the girl was apparently still strapped under the wing when the aircraft crashed into the sea. Having watched further clips from YouTube, you can clearly see the girl climbing back into the aircraft as soon as the engine cut out. Obviously, many safety procedures are in place. Luckily, this time they had a bit of time to prepare before crash landing into the sea. And now. Without further ado, I'm going to play a little bit of the clip right when this uh, aerobatics team, uh, one of them loses their engine. It's hard to see there because um, I can't really zoom in when I'm presenting this in this fashion. But you see the uh, one that's in front is the one that has the uh, engine trouble. And if you look really, really carefully, okay, the engine's kind of making a sputtering sound i don't know has she climbed off the wing yet when you zoom into no, it no i can, don't think so you can She's clearly see it that might be the support that you can still see there i think she already has it was pretty quick when, when once you hear the engine kind of making some bad sounds oh, all of a sudden very quickly the wing walker gets off the wing and gets into the cockpit so anyway uh we'll put a link to this video and then when you're watching it on your own device you can actually zoom in on it and you can see it a little bit more clearly so jeff five minutes till the hour and a half if you want to go to the plane tail now or you want to do yeah let's go ahead and uh go to the plane tail now just to make sure we get this in for today's episode now uh nick um, because of his holiday and his birthday last week, didn't have a chance to create a, an all new ver- or new all new plane tale. And uh, so we're playing one of his, um, uh, what do you, what would you call it? Best of all times. Favorites. Mm-hmm. One of his favorites. And this was originally uh, played on um, episode 391, I believe. And that was about uh, almost two years ago. Uh, 2019, I think October of 2019 or September, somewhere around this time, uh, a couple of years ago. So, and this is uh, before we were doing all the um, the nice illustrations that uh, or Nick did, or at least we don't have them available to us at this time. But we do have a few that we can throw up there, uh, basically culled from the Plain Tales page on the airlinepilotguy.com website. So, as I said, without further ado, oh, the entitled, without further ado, this week's Plain Tale episode entitled, I'm sorry, I'm trying to find it. Okay. Nope, that's not it. Still waiting uh, for help, still praying? Yes, that's it. Still waiting for help, still praying. The old pilot's plain tales, still waiting for help, still praying. 
The north of Africa holds the world's largest hot desert, known as the greatest desert, or more commonly by the Arabic word Sahara. It is bounded to the east by the Red Sea, to the north by the Mediterranean, and the west by the Atlantic. To the south, its vast expanse, some 3.6 million square miles, is halted by the Sahel, a belt of semi-arid tropical savanna around the Niger River Valley and the sub-Saharan Sudan. It is a vast area, covered mainly by expanses of rocky hamada, stone plateaus, and less so by ergs, sand seas and gravel plains, but within these areas are huge sand dunes, some of which are over 600 feet, 180 meters high. Much of the Sahara is flat with wadi, dry valleys, dry lakes and salt flats, but it also boasts vast mountain ranges, many volcanic in nature. The one thing that is common to all of the Sahara is the heat. A wide portion suffers from over 4,000 hours of scorching sunlight a year and some areas see direct sunlight for 98% of daylight hours, giving average air temperatures which exceed 40 degrees centigrade, 104 Fahrenheit, and ground temperatures of over 80 degrees centigrade, that's over 180 degrees Fahrenheit. There are big diurnal temperature changes, but it's a myth that the nights are freezing cold, unless it's a rare event and you happen to be amongst the high mountains. Rainfall is rare, and in the central and eastern parts, practically non-existent. As a consequence, plant life is scarce. There is some animal life, mainly lizards, vipers and insects, which include the large death-stalker scorpion. Its venom contains large amounts of neurotoxin. All in all, it's a pretty inhospitable place, as some have found to their misfortune. It was the 4th of April 1943, and the crew of Lady Be Good picked themselves up from their parachute drop. It was pitch black, not a light visible anywhere, except for the stars above, which filled the sky with a stunning display so intense it could only be seen like that from a few remote places in the world. As they shouted to find each other in the dark, the sound of their aircraft, droning on, flying away from them, slowly faded, until it was as quiet as the grey. Eventually they resorted to firing their weapons and sending signal flares up into the inky blackness to help the crew come together. A few were close enough to find each other easily and eventually the stragglers came in, but a head count only revealed eight. They were missing one, John Voraka, the bombardier. They were all surprised to find themselves standing on land. They had thought they had been out over the Mediterranean Sea. It had been their first operational mission, and it hadn't gone well. Lady Be Good was a B-24 Liberator of the U.S. Army Air Corps. 
She wasn't an appealing lady, as she handled like a long tractor-trailer with eighteen flat tyres, and she was considered the ugly sister of the heavy American bombers in the Second World War. However, the Liberator was still a rugged aircraft, and destined to become the most produced American bomber in history. More than 18,000 were built during the war, mainly by the Ford Motor Company. She had her faults, a tendency to catch fire if ditching or crash landing, because the high-mounted Davis wing had a habit of breaking away from the fuselage. She was hard to fly in formation, and her pilots needed big biceps to wrestle the clumsy controls. But the ugly lady had some good redeeming features. A high top speed, good combat range, a decent ceiling, and she carried a good bomb load. When they got airborne that night, the crew of Lady Be Good would have undoubtedly been feeling a bit nervous. They were going into combat for the very first time. Pushing up the throttles of his two Pratt & Whitney twin WASP supercharged radials, Lieutenant Hatton was one of the last to accelerate down the strip at Salouche Airfield, and leaving the lights behind him, they headed out over the Mediterranean Sea, slowly clambering up to their cruising altitude. Salouche had been an Italian Regia Aeronautica base, but had been taken over by the U.S. Army 9th Air Force during the Eastern Desert Campaign. It lay on the North African coast, near Benghazi and Libya. Lady B. Good was part of a 21-ship formation tasked with attacking Naples in Italy, over 700 miles north-northwest of them. The conditions weren't good, with poor visibility and the Sirocco wind that blows up from the Sahara, choking the atmosphere with red dust and covering everything with sand. Other aircraft turned back, their engines running rough as they sucked sand into the intakes, but Lieutenant Hatton, the pilot, carried on towards the target. Strong winds buffeted the Liberator, and they were forced to make numerous course changes to stay close to their track, and as they approached their target, the visibility was still too poor to find it. Downhearted, they jettisoned their bombs into the sea and turned back for Africa. Other liberators in the group had long since come and gone, so Lady Be Good was alone in the sky as they headed back across the Mediterranean. In the poor weather, the one piece of navigation equipment that they could use was their ADF, their Automatic Direction Finder. It was a loop aerial that would accurately indicate the bearing of a radio beacon. With little else to go by, and in unexpectedly strong winds, the navigator was struggling to come up with accurate positions. We are unsure whether the ADF failed, or the navigator just wanted to confirm its readings, but the pilot called Salouche Airstrip, saying that they had a fault, and they asked for bearings to fly. It would be the last call to be heard from Lady Be Good. Some reports say that the airfield refused to answer, believing it to be a Nazi ruse, but a more likely account is found in the official report of Graves' registration, which states, The aircraft flew on a 150-degree course towards Salouche Airfield. 
The craft radioed for a directional reading from the HFDF station at Benina, which was nearby, and received a reading of 330 degrees from Salouche. The actions of the pilot in flying 440 miles into the desert are indications that the navigator probably took a reciprocal reading off the back of the radial direction loop antenna from a position beyond and south of Salouche, but on course. The pilot flew into the desert, thinking he was still over the Mediterranean and on the way home. Despite their colleagues at the airstrip hearing the aircraft overhead and firing flares into the sky to help them, the crew of the Liberator flew clean over their base and onwards, over the brutally inhospitable terrain of the Sahara Desert. They were hopelessly lost and running out of fuel when the first engine failed. The crew decided to abandon their aircraft rather than risk a crash landing, and they parachuted out over what they believed to be the sea, only to discover that it was a sea of sand. Lady Be Good stubbornly carried on for a further sixteen miles before it settled onto the desert and came to a grinding halt. Her fuselage was mainly intact, but it had broken aft of the wings and cockpit. With no fuel, there was no fire. Even the glass in the cockpit windows was unbroken. Still on board were food rations and water that the crew would soon be in desperate need of, and, more importantly, a usable radio. But they had no idea where their liberator was. The following day, a search-and-rescue mission was launched from Salusha Field in an attempt to find them, but they failed to see any trace of the aircraft or its crew. The disappearance of the Lady Be Good became a mystery, one of the many unexplained losses, and the Air Force moved on. There was a war to be fought. Out in the desert, the crew still believed that they must be close to the Mediterranean and had no idea that they were hundreds of miles south, so they decided to set off for the coast. What we know of their walk through the Sahara comes from the co-pilot's diary, Lieutenant Robert Toner, as he described their efforts with sober brevity. Sunday, April 4th, 1943. Naples, things pretty well mixed up. Got lost returning. Out of gas, jumped. Landed in desert at 2 o'clock in morning. No one badly hurt. Can't find John. All others present. Monday 5th. Start walking northwest. Still no John. A few rations. Half a canteen of water. One cap full per day. Sun fairly warm. Good breeze from northwest. Night very cold. No sleep. Rested and walked. Tuesday 6th. Rested at 11.30, sun very warm. No breeze, spent afternoon in hell. No planes, etc. Rested until 5. 
walked and rested all night. 15 minutes on, 5 off. Wednesday, April 7th, 1943. Same routine, everyone getting weak, can't get very far. Prayers all the time. Again, afternoon very warm. Hell, can't sleep. Everyone sore from ground. Thursday 8th. Hit sand dunes. Very miserable. Good wind, but continuous blowing of sand. Everyone now very weak. Thought Sam and Moore were all done. Lamont's eyes are gone. Everyone else's eyes are bad. Still going northwest. Friday 9th. Shelley, Rip, and Moore separate and try to go for help. Rest of us all very weak. Eyes bad. Not any travel. All want to die. Still very little water. Nights are about 35. Good wind. No shelter. One parachute left. It was on that Friday that the group split up. Some of the crew were close to death, and the majority were too exhausted and dehydrated to carry on. So Ripslinger, the engineer, Shelley and Moore, both gunners, agreed to try to reach help and then return. Survival experts estimate that without proper hydration, the men would probably manage a maximum of 30 miles. But when the group split up, they had already travelled 80. An unbelievable achievement. After the decision, Toner continued to make entries in his diary, a poignant record of his decline towards death. Dehydration is unpleasant in the extreme, and it's remarkable that some of this brave crew were still alive, let alone able to move on. Their bodies would be suffering from fevers, which would only add to the discomfort of the intense heat. Their ability to cool themselves by sweating would stop. Their mouths would dry up, as would their tear ducts. Standing would make them dizzy, and they would be suffering from low blood pressure, rapid heart rates and lethargy, confusion and seizures. Saturday, April 10th, 1943. Still having prayer meetings for help. No sign of anything. A couple of birds. Good wind from north. Really weak now can't walk. Pain's all over. Still all want to die. Night's very cold. No sleep. Sunday, 11. Still waiting for help. Still praying. Eyes bad. Lost all our weight. Aching all over. Could make it if we had water. Just enough left to put our tongues to. Have hope for help very soon. No rest. Still same place. 
the final entry was made on Monday, April the 12th, written in thick pencil lines. No help yet. Very cold night. The fate of Lady Begood's crew would remain a mystery for more than 15 years until a British oil exploration team spotted the wreckage of the Liberator while conducting an aerial survey of the Sand Sea of Kalanskio. They marked the position. It was confirmed by geologists from British Petroleum, but it took a year before an expedition from the United States Air Force Base at Wheelus in Libya set out to find it. There on the side of the aircraft were the hand-painted words, faded in the fierce desert sun. Lady be good. The dryness of the desert had kept the lady in an amazing state of preservation. The coffee in a thermos bottle was still drinkable, and many of the aircraft's 50 caliber machine guns were still in working condition and actually fired by team members. The radio worked. Some food and supplies were intact, and the log of Navigator Lieutenant Hayes was found with his final entry posted over Naples. There were no signs, however, of the crew. Then they discovered several improvised arrow markers at varying distances to the northwest, one made of boots, others made from parachutes weighed down with rocks, but the markers stopped at the edge of the vast, shifting sea of sand of the Kalanskiel. Over the next few years, further searches and accidental discoveries would slowly bring the story of Lady Begood together, as the bodies of the crew were found. The personal diary, which revealed details of their desert trek and suffering, was discovered in the pocket of the co-pilot. They shared one canteen of water for eight days, left behind clothing articles, May West life vests, footwear, parachute material and other items to mark their path and came to pause about 81 miles north of Lady Be Good. Five remained while three others continued north in search of help. Staff Sergeant Guy Shelley's remains were discovered 24 miles north of the recovered five bodies. Finally, the remarkable flight engineer Harold Ripslinger's remains were found 27 miles north of Shelley's body. Ripslinger had walked 200 miles from the crash site before the desert took his life. The one crew member not accounted for, that of Bombardier John Borevka, had died when his parachute failed to open after bailing out. Only one body was never found. The remains of Staff Sergeant Vernon Moore. Had the crew journeyed south to find the crash site, Lady Be Good would have been there for them with provisions, supplies and a working radio to call for help. Had they had maps of North Africa and managed to locate their position, still further, but within walking distance, there was a life-giving oasis waiting for them.
My thanks this week to listener Joe from Buffalo for the idea for this tale and for Greg Willits for his wonderful reading of Lieutenant Toner's diary. Wow. It was uh, quite a tale that he told a couple of years ago, and it's still... Uh, I remember that one. Yeah. Um, yeah, I agree with him. It's one of my favorites, too. It's it's very sad. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, kind of amazing how far they were actually able to travel with Larry, very limited provisions and mm-hmm. limited water. Just a shame that they didn't end up going in the right directions. Yeah. Very sad. If they had gone the opposite way, they would have perhaps yeah. been rescued and had the radio and the whole bit. Wow. Oh, okay. Well, mm. thanks for that uplifting tale. Yes. Nick. And uh, look forward to uh, hearing the next installment, hopefully on our next show. And uh, let us continue with one more uh, okay. piece of feedback before we end today's show. We're going to go to 13. Now, was it last show or maybe a couple of shows ago, uh, or, or actually it's been several times that uh, we've been trying to do acronyms. And I think, uh, Steph, you mentioned to me that uh, acronyms are dangerous. Acronyms are dangerous. Yeah. Because <laughs> no and one can ever remember what they stand for. Exactly. Um, well, Kevin, I guess he heard that and, th- and thought, you know, I think that there's something out there uh, with somebody singing uh, a song uh, with uh, aviation-related acronyms. And uh, so this uh, was recorded a couple of years ago um, mm-hmm. on the, uh, uh, was it St- Speed Tape Airlines, Captain, Captain Roger, Roger Victor, Victor, the puppet, yes. uh, uh, sang a little ditty about uh, acronyms. And uh, we're going to just play a little bit, not the whole thing. Um, and I'm going to start it right when Captain Roger Victor starts to sing. Here we go. There's PPL, CPL, MEL, ATP, and instrument rating as well. A CFI, double I, MEI, AGI with an oral exam from hell. We get ATIS and AWAS and ASOS for weather subscriptions to AOPA. EAA does Oshkos and FARAM, Texas and Bishops and NBAA. There are meters and tasks for weather forecasts. No tests with local ND. There's airmets and segments and high was broadcast advised by ATC. Our VSA for Texas and TCAS advises us of TA and RA. We use VORs, arrive via stars, and descend using CDFA. We do RNAV approaches with LNAV, VNAV, and maybe some LPV. We shoot ILSs with backcourse approaches labeled by LPC. We do MEL CDOs for one E breakdown, and one NEF is enough. The CVR records and FDR stores all that cool fuck with data stuff. <laughs> we have GPS to guide us, Loran, before that, and earlier the NDB. The FISDO will answer all of our emails, but it might take a week or three. We have EFIS <laughs> right? and ICAS and Arglass cockpits. Yeah, that sounds familiar. We study AFM, LRGUMs. Remember our SOPs. PDC gives us clearance and edicts delay us from departing on time. Alcif and Mouser's are flashy bright lights that lead us to center lines. Can't want to get to or not little pits, but approaches for when you can't see. When RVR drops down low, you might even shoot a cat three. IS is our speed, and that is our need. Get it? That's from Top Gun. FMO is the max via so sells as fast. And VREP gets the job done. The far and the aim try hard to explain IFR and VMC. I'm not going to fit all the acronyms, so. Conus TSA Jipwish, Naka, Nextron, Peppy, and Vazzy, Sutcom, and RMP. Hey! And remember, everybody, when in doubt, just ASAP it. 
<laughs> Again, yes, very clever. we'll have a link to that. Uh, Captain Roger Victor, uh, an awesome YouTube channel. You should definitely check it out, subscribe and all that. Um, so I, I can recall having a, um, a debate with my very first CFI as to whether, because um, his wife was in the medical field as well, as to mm-hmm. whether medicine or aviation has more acronyms for things. Well, it would be a close contest, wouldn't it's, it? It's pretty close. <laughs> mm-hmm. And and then throw in the military and even have more acronyms. Yep. A military aviation, probably the top, the the, uh, the the top of the heap because they have both aviation and military acronyms, and it just gets so darn confusing. Anyway, mm-hmm. um, I hope that uh, Captain Roger Victor didn't mind us playing uh, that on our show. But again, uh, highly recommend you subscribing to the um, channel. And again, that'll all be in the show notes for this episode. And with that, we're going to wrap it up for part one. And uh, yeah, I guess that is all we have to say for now. Stay tuned. Cheers, y'all. Cause I don't think I'll be here for part two, but. Oh, well, I hope, well, maybe we're not really sure yet. We'll see. We're going to be doing part two because this was literally just a very, very last minute uh, development. Uh, Rick was all set up to record with us today. And then he got that dreaded call from schedules that, uh, had him, although, you know, it's hard really to feel too sorry for him because he, uh, got to go to Hawaii again. So, uh, Rick, we missed you, but we'll see you again. Nick, of course we missed you, but we knew you were going to be gone. And, uh, so very soon you'll be hearing again, the dulcet tones of Miami Rick, our beloved, freight dog and with that steph let's say goodbye to the audience and uh we'll see you again soon be well cheers y'all what what's that oh no wait all right reveal liz from his home studio in the Valley of the Sun, world traveler, airplane mechanic, Breitling Cognoscenti, fitness hound, and international air freight captain. It's Miami Rick. Hey, everybody. You all thought I was going to sit this one out, huh? Nope. Not no. Yet. No way. If there's any way that we can work you in, that's what she said, uh, we'll do it. All right. So uh, let's <laughs> Happy see. to be here, guys. It's going to be good. Good, good, good. So it is uh, a couple of, here. Okay, stop singing that. Here we go. It's fading it's out. Too. It is. I love it. There you go. All right. So uh, as we mentioned uh, just a, about a minute ago on the hmm. part one of the podcast that we recorded on, what day was that? Was that Tuesday? Yeah, I think it was Tuesday. I think it may have been Tuesday. Yeah. Yeah. And I think this is when you were all set up and ready to go. In fact, you sent us a photo of your your setup, your mobile studio, and yep. uh, then uh, you got a call from um, headquarters, and uh, they said, "We need you, man. We need you." Yep, gotta go, gotta go. That's but the thing is that uh, I um this this line that I got was the only line that allowed me to uh, conflict bid my training at the beginning. So uh, uh, a lot of it is, uh, yeah. So a lot of it is, uh, it was it was reserve, you know, reserve line. So ooh, you guys still uh, get to you, do that? Yeah. We used to, uh, on several contracts ago um, at uh, the ACME, uh, we could do that as well. And what that means is that if you bid, so you know you're going to have training on, let's say, the, the 11th and 12th, 
Um, mm. and you bid a trip that leaves like c- touches it from the, on the 11th or touches it on the 12th or whatever, whatever that trip is like a three or four day trip or whatever. I don't know how it works with you guys. Cause you don't really have trips assigned on a line like we do. But for us, if I had a four trip, four day trip, if I bid for a trip that left on the, on the 12th, um, obviously it's a conflict. They needed to have me in training. So they would drop that four day trip and pay me for that four day trip. Mm, exactly. Is that sort of what they do with you guys? Yeah. Same, same deal with us. So it's, uh, it's kind of, um, it's kind of a, um, a, a workaround. And, um, mm-hmm. and what happens with that flying is that flying gets put to, into a, uh, into a pot called a VTO, um, vacation, uh, training and time off. And so, um, uh, scheduling later on works out, uh, VTO lines from uh, flying that's been dropped due to mm. conflict bidding and vacation and all this. And then, and then, um, one of the options that you have when you bid for your flying every month or every two months, whatever type of line you get is you get to, uh, bid for VTO flying and VTO flying is actually pretty interesting because, uh, a lot of, um, a lot of really senior trips go on mm-hmm. there, a lot of cool places and, uh, and, 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 you know, good plane trips. So, um. It's uh you know if you don't have a lot of seniority, and um you know you want to you know go you know make some uh, good money go see some you know, interesting places uh bid VTO and uh you know you might just get lucky. Yeah, that's what I say. Bid, exactly. Bid VTO and get lucky. All right, where's my black <laughs> book? I need to write that down. I was just gonna say where's your black book? <laughs> and it's over there, I think. <laughs> You know, if everybody, if anybody ever comes, like these workers that are doing things to this cabin, uh, the owners having like stuff done, and so they have the key and they can come in and walk around and and uh, it's funny because I have a camera set up here so I can kind of watch. If I happen to be watching at the time, I can kind of watch them and they you know like they kind of staring at all this stuff on this table here, all my equipment, so to speak. And uh, I've I've left out that black uh, little black book over there on the um, <laughs> next to the TV, and they're probably going. Huh. A player. <laughs> if they actually looked through it and thumbed through it, they'd find out I'm not a player. <laughs> There's nothing in it. Anyway, uh, thank you, Tom. Uh, the uh, guy that uh, Tom Tordell, I think, uh, one of our new patrons uh, sent that to me. I'm assuming he sent that to me as a joke. Maybe not. I don't know. Um, I would have been a little suspicious if he had an entry with his name in it and telephone number. But uh, there's nothing in there. Okay, I don't know how we got on that. Uh, I don't know. Uh, I don't know off that I like track there. Moving on to news. Yeah. Well, you know what? Let's since we're kind of already kind of casually chatting here, um, why don't we go ahead and just find out what the heck is going on with Rick? Well, I mean, uh, not a lot. Like I said, um, I when was the last time I was on. It was after training, correct? Yeah, I believe so. Last yeah. Uh, after that, yeah. yeah. After that, I did a. Um, I picked up a reserve trip. From uh, Miami up to uh, Chicago, and I think I did talk about that. I ended up back in Ontario, mm-hmm. sitting reserve, and then uh, back over to uh, to Baltimore, which was interesting because um, we got to fly. I got to fly through Phoenix, and I was hoping that the plane would break down so I could go home. <laughs> But that yeah. didn't happen. <laughs> oh, it never does when you hope something like <laughs> no, that's going to happen. No, it never happens. So it was it was interesting. Got to uh, got to fly into uh, into Phoenix, the home airport here, um, in the middle of the night. So uh, I got in at uh, what was it? Uh, I mean, the activation was something like uh, yeah, it was was it the middle of the night? Actually, I'm all screwed up now. But anyway, I think I got I got into Phoenix, 
waited for two, three hours, and then uh, on to Baltimore, which was interesting because uh, we no longer do that turn ourselves. Uh, that belongs to another airline now. So uh, okay. apparently what happened was um, we were uh, sitting hot reserve for the for that operator, and something happened to their airplane, which interestingly enough, we saw in, in Phoenix. Hmm. Uh, so we, uh, we um, repositioned the jet from uh, Ontario to uh, Phoenix, and then from Phoenix picked up all the cargo. And then on to uh, Baltimore for a uh, very, very short layover. Obviously, they uh, know how to break an airplane better than you guys. (laughs) (laughs) Apparently. (laughs) Should talk to uh, them. How did you do that? Exactly. Yeah. I need a little black book. (laughs) Um, (laughs) And then I know ended up back in in Ontario uh, sitting a couple of – more it was two more two more days of reserve and they didn't use me and then i just kind of came uh, came on home you know started uh, my way back home yeah. and uh, here i am did so you fly really going on did just, you fly uh, uh through any storms rick oh that oh yes uh flying out of baltimore oh, look at this. that evening that was uh look at the screen that was quite the uh oh yeah that was quite the interesting uh departure uh to the uh to the west of the field it was um a little bit of St. Elmo's fire on the uh, windshield there. Um, I think uh, quite a lot of people like that picture. So, yeah, <laughs> apparently uh, it's a beautiful picture. And uh, as I, I as I tweeted, uh, yeah, I uh, I thought that we'll go back to his, Liz. Um, so I thought you know I said I tweeted that that was one of the most impressive pictures of St. Elmo's fire that I've ever seen. And uh, I yeah. said, and then I showed one of the ones that I had. Um, say, or, uh, Elmo on fire. Um, and <laughs> before not, he was canonized, this is before, yeah, he was canonized a saint. <laughs> and, uh, so it was a little rougher, uh, kind of, you know, look to it, not quite as cool as yours. Uh, but <laughs> I thought it was, funny. You, I, was <laughs> I was having dinner when I read that. I, uh, <laughs> I always had beer go, you know, coming up my nose. It was. Uh, it was, it was good. <laughs> I was kind of surprised that nobody else did that, and I, I got it on there as quickly as I could before somebody else thought, "Oh, that'd be funny." <laughs> <laughs> anyway, good. No, but it was. It was. It was quite the interesting. Uh, you know, quite the interesting light show, and it. Uh, it's. It's interesting because. In my experience, you either see it on the left windshield or the right windshield. I've never seen it on both at the same time, and so so uh, so bright. Um, yeah, and I've we got lucky as either. well because the uh, yeah we got lucky because uh, usually, um, well obviously, obviously St. Emil's fire has to do with a a, a static electricity discharge. Uh, it's not dangerous whatsoever. What is dangerous, however, is the convective activity that. Um, has to be around uh, for that to happen, and obviously, the closer you are to that convective activity, and you know the thunderstorm clouds and all that stuff, the more dangerous it is. Which is why you fly with your weather radar, and you know, as your a, a lot of these newer type airplanes have uh, automatic tilt on the antenna, and so based on your pitch angle, the antenna is going to be at a certain tilt, giving you the you know the perfect uh, vantage point from the flight deck on your navigation display. To kind of you know negotiate your way around that uh, that uh, pattern. So if you look at the picture on my navigation display, there's really nothing there. There's no mm-hmm. you know the, the the radar isn't painting any any weather whatsoever. It's just that the conditions were just perfect. The uh, the the humidity and the and, and I guess the uh, the just just the, the the amount of electricity that the airplane had uh, built up to that point was just right and. It was since it was not um, uh, related at all to convective activity that we were flying through. 
you can see it clearly and there's no shaking because there was no turbulence. So that was, uh, that's why it was, it was so, uh, kind of, uh, you know, one in a, uh, I don't want to say one in a million type picture, but it was interesting to see it on both uh, on both uh, windshields, and so clearly you can see all the instruments, all the reading. You can actually see the uh, the altimeter. We're going through twenty nine thousand feet, so it was. Uh, uh, I thought it was nice. I thought it was a nice picture. Very nice. Yeah, as I said, one of the best uh, of Saint Elmo's that I've seen. Uh, hey, let's say hello to our wonderful chat room live audience people. Kenneth Seller says uh, he finally caught a live show again. And he loves you your awesome photo. Let's see. Who else do we have? Glenn from Down Under in uh, our Kiwi in uh, the place that uh, the Beef Wellington uh, was was uh, born, I think. Right? Yes. Uh, Wellington, uh, New Zealand. And who else do we have here? We have Jen Niffer, Tales from the Terminal. Uh, mm. Let's see. Who else? Uh, Alan, Alan Waugh. Waugh. From Sydney, down under. This is probably a better time slot for those folks on the uh, southern hemisphere. Yeah, what time is it over there? Is it morning time? Is it like a morning uh, it's show probably right like now, 12 or? or 13 hours from where we are. Probably sometime in the morning, I would imagine. Uh, tomorrow. Mm. Deanna. Hey, Deanna. Oh, yeah. 10.30. 10.30 in the morning. 10.30, okay. Uh, who else do we have here? Mm-hmm. Um, Chris Cheatwood. Hey, Chris. Mike Kuypers. He was the first one in. He is the mayor. We're going to call him the mayor of APG now. Uh, used to be the mayor of SQPN. Like Maybe he still is. I don't know if you can be mayor of more than one domain, but what, Mike, uh, I'm now dubbing you mayor of APG. So uh, welcome, sir. Uh, who else? Um, I think that covers everybody, right, uh, Liz? Chris? I-Hall boxes. I-Hall boxes. Oh, I-Hall, bo- I-Hall boxes. Chris Cavokay. Yeah. Uh, a cavalcade of Chris Cavalcade. Um, I don't think I could say that again. Evan Shu, also another uh, good day uh, from down under. Melbourne. Melbourne area. Uh, thank you, Liz. We got Melbourne and Sydney and Wellington, New Zealand, and Chris uh, Dobison. That might have been the Chris Cavalcade. Um, okay. And uh, anyway, welcome. There's Dr. Jo- There's Dr. John Brown. Dr. John Brown. Wow, I haven't seen him in a while. Hey, man. Uh, good to see you here from the great white North and, uh, okay, excellent. So we have a great group of folks with us on a Saturday evening, at least Saturday evening here in the Eastern daylight time zone. And, uh, let's see. So we just got caught up with Rick. Anything else going on, Rick, that you want to mention? No, nothing much. No, just, uh, just got some uh, interesting feedback here that we need to get to it. Uh, get some good stuff. Here. Okay. Let's do that then. Um, I love you, Rick. Uh, Liz just said, I love you, Rick. <laughs> so she, she didn't have to be too, the one Liz. cracking the, the whip. You did. Exactly. Okay, <laughs> okay here we go. Uh, news. Uh, do I need to play the news thing? Nah, let's just, no, no. let's just do this. News. Um, final report. Singapore A359 at Barcelona, Barcelona on October 24th, 2020. Take off without clearance. And mm-hmm. uh, let's see, Singapore Airlines A350-900, registration 9 Victor Sierra Mike Uniform, performing flight 377 from Barcelona, Spain, to Milan, Malpensa, Italy, with 28 people on board, had been, or should I say, Milan, Malpensa. No. Exactly. Um, only 28 people on board a 350 yeah, It's a short little flight. Oh. Yeah, it's a short little flight from Barcelona. It's uh, what's that's that's going to be like a little over an hour. It's just over the Pyrenees. Oh, and it was probably short. most of the people got off in Spain and I mean in Barcelona, and then they had some that were going through to Italy, probably. 
Okay, they've been cleared to line up on runway 7 right. So line up and wait, runway 7 right. The crew, however, commenced their takeoff roll without clearance and departed, creating a conflict with another aircraft on final approach to runway 2. The aircraft Oops. continued to, to Milan for a landing without further incident. I mean, they just they were ready to go, so they decided just to do it. Hey, at um, least they didn't do it on a taxiway, so that's... Uh, that's know. true. They used a runway. Point, and they lined up, apparently, with for, the center line of the runway, yeah, which is good, that's too. Good. So that's a point for Singapore. Yeah, well, a couple of extra points. Um, yeah. So in the final report on the 8th of September uh, this year, the flight crew believed that they were the only aircraft traffic in the vicinity, which... Is really not an excuse. Uh, the low workload and traffic monitoring due to the low aerodrome traffic could have resulted in some form of reduced alertness by the flight crew. The flight mm. crew claimed that they heard a takeoff clearance when there had not been one. There was no readback of takeoff clearance by the flight crew. Hmm. Flight crew had checked the approach path of runway seven right, the runway that they were told to line up and wait, and found it to be clear. Pilot Flying mentioned checking the surrounding vicinity for approaching aircraft traffic, but did not detect the A320 that was approaching runway two. I think it was one of those stealth models, probably. Although mm. the tower controller had managed the takeoff situation appropriately, it would have been desirable that the flight crew could have been made aware of other aircraft traffic in the vicinity. The tower c- controller could have assisted by providing additional information when issuing the lineup clearance to the flight crew of the departure aircraft, such as stating the order of the aircraft in the queue with respect to other uh, airport traffic, so as to enhance the awareness of the flight crew to the presence of other aircraft. So in other words, line up and wait, runway seven right, traffic landing, runway two, or something like that. That would Mm -hmm. definitely have been helpful. And there's another thing there. I mean, as as part of the... I mean, this is not really airline specific. I guess this is it's just just every every time you're cleared onto an active runway, whether you're crossing it or you're cleared for takeoff, you turn your transponder to take of advisory uh, traffic advisory resolution advisory, which tells you the other traffic that's around you. And it's always a good idea to um, to uh, not stay stuck on the scale that you're on because a lot of these newer airplanes have the uh, airport moving map as part of their navigation display, and the only way to show this is when the scale is at the lowest. And so um, it's a good idea to uh, increase your scale to kind of get an, an idea of what the traffic situation is around you. Um, you know, it's uh, that, that 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 perhaps would have, uh, but it also depends how far away this 320 was landing on uh, on runway zero two. And somewhere, so, uh, somewhere in this uh, final report, um, uh, the, the synopsis anyway that we have, um, let's see, at the time, when the A350 was about to enter runway 7 right, the approaching A320 should have been within range to be shown on the nav display. The investigation team is not able to determine if the approaching A320 was visible in the horizon or if the nav display had displayed the approaching A320 or whether the pilot flying has seen had seen the A320 displayed on the nav display. So, yeah, you got to turn, as you said, you got to turn the TCAS on. It yeah, should have been yeah, on. It's, it's good. Right. As long as as long as you have this scale to right. a you know where you need to have it for you to be able to see right. the traffic, it would it would have you know shown anyway. So yeah, I don't know. I don't, no. Liz, did you um, show that uh, runway layout and taxi route? Oh, sorry. No, I was sorry. I was That's okay. There. Yeah, oh, fine. Yeah, there we go. Pop it up there. All right, there it is. Um, so there, uh, seven right is the um, the runway on the bottom. And it kind of shows a little um, airport or airplane symbol and their taxi route out to the runway. So um, as they were making their turn to line up on the runway, 
if they had looked almost straight ahead during that turn, they should have been able to see that A320 on final for a uh, right. runway uh, two. But apparently, that, you know, that's similar just, to the uh, similar to the setup at uh, at uh, Honolulu. Yeah, with oh, that's uh, right. four right and exactly. uh, and uh, and eight right. You know, yeah. If you just shift the whole picture like thirty degrees to the right clockwise, mm-hmm. that's kind of like the Very layout similar. of. Um, you're right, Honolulu. Yeah. Huh. Well, interesting. Um, yeah, there was no, uh, I guess the, uh, they say somewhere in here, I can't find it, uh, the uh, controller uh, saw that the um, uh, the the 350 was uh, departing on runway seven right and just a quick mental calculation, uh, they, the controller determined that there was not going to be a conflict with landing traffic on runway two, so uh, did not uh, tell the uh, the A350, the Singapore flight, to uh, abort their takeoff, and uh, that was probably you know that was probably a good decision because it could yeah, have been worse if they had uh, done a, uh, an abort. Good judgment by by the controller. Yeah. So I I, I wish I'd uh, I'd uh, heard, I'd listened to that uh, transmission when the controller told the told guy to contact departure and contact departure. And by the way, you're clear. You were clear for takeoff. You're, you're <laughs> yeah. clear for takeoff. Oh yeah, <laughs> I didn't really tell you, but. Uh, <laughs> Clear for takeoff. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Um, interesting. I was just listening to uh, one of the uh, latest um, Opposing Bases podcast, which is the number one aviation podcast of all time, by the way. Um, and it's probably, you know, it's definitely the best. Laura's um, in the chat room. We're, uh, uh, we're just trying. Uh, we're just kind of trying to, like, tag on to the, to the success of that podcast. And I'm just, right. they know I'm kidding around. And, and by the way, the listeners of Opposing uh, Bases, many of whom uh, listen to ours, and and uh, I forgot who it was um, I was just listening to, but uh, he said something very hurtful. Said that uh, their theirs uh, was much better than than our than our show. <laughs> it made me cry a little bit in the car. <laughs> uh, and in fact, I I couldn't hardly see because I was crying. But anyway, um, that's okay. I got over it. Um, they were talking about, uh, the fact that, oh, I think they were talking about, um, like if, if the controller forgets to give you a, um, like a switch over from approach to tower and, you know, just, you <laughs> were just saying, just switch to tower. If you're like two miles from landing and <laughs> you're still on approach frequency, just go over to tower. Don't, don't worry about telling them that that's what you're doing. And then he said, if you find yourselves like leaving the runway and, um, you're switching to ground control frequency and you realize that tower is not really in the, in the, in the communications, um, frequency window, uh, just, uh, pull off the runway, stop, uh, and then contact ground control and, uh, say we're clear of uh, runway seven, right. And, um, and then <laughs> it was funny. Uh, RH said, um, so, uh, confirm that, uh, that you had some radio uh, difficulties. Yes. He said, and you saw the green light. Yes, we saw the green light. And he goes, okay, good. We're all good now. And it could taxi to your ramp or whatever. And uh, like, you know, it cuts, it really cuts down on the paperwork. Laura, our super fan has a comment there. Oh, Laura, our super fan says opposing who? <laughs> Never heard of it. Uh, yeah. Of right. Opposing who? Opposing who? <laughs> um, <laughs> Anyway, uh, they're they're Just, they're great guys. I, I I learned so much by listening to their show, and they are funny and informative, and all that, all the all the things that we aspire to be here at the ABG. So, anyway, um, anything else to say about that? 
Mm-hmm. No? no, that was a good one. All right. Yeah, I thought so too. Okay. Oh, here's one for uh, for Rick. Uh, let's see. The world's biggest 747-400 passenger operators in 2021 from simpleflying.com. And they basically epitomize simple flying and simple journalism. Uh, no, I'm just kidding. Um, let's see. There are just 434 Boeing 747-400s. If all roles, variants, types of operator, and statuses are or stati are uh, looked at, uh, ch-aviation.com reveals. Not what that means. Ch-aviation. Hmm. However, the picture changes dramatically if only stored and active passenger B seven forty seven four hundreds are examined. Just uh, forty two fit the bill, with only ten in active use. And now these are passenger versions. I think uh, if you look at the cargo world, you'll find that uh, there are probably way more than that. Hmm. Uh, but I guess uh, in the passenger carrying world, the self-loading cargo world, um, not so many operating or actively uh, flying right now. Hey, Liz, throw up that um, uh, overlay if you don't yes, mind. Sir. I just wanted to say uh, when I saw this picture, Rick, I thought, oh, the flying tigers. Because look at that. That's a <laughs> Isn't that cool? <laughs> I love that paint that job cool. on the front of the airplane. It wow. uh, looks like a tiger. It's really pretty. Uh, but, of course, it, the flying tiger line is is uh, has been absorbed by another big cargo outfit, right? Yes, it has. Yeah, I thought so. Okay. Um, do I need to read any more of this, uh, no, Liz? No, it's just, it's just how it's dwindling. I just yeah. think Rick would be interested. It's in dwindling. It. Yeah. What, what do you think, Rick, uh, about all this? I think that it's, uh, it's, I think it's amazing how, you know, almost, what is it, 50 years and more after the um, initial flight and, uh, you know, entering a service of the 747, it's, it's still, you know, still around, whereas the, the 380, uh, not so much anymore. Uh, it was, um, you know, this is going to start one of those. Uh, and I wish this is where I wish Nick was here. Yeah, but you know, there are some. Um, I have been looking at news reports l- recently that have said that some 380s are back up flying again. Yeah, I've seen that as well. I've not, seen that as well. Yeah, but, not many, not that many, but not that many. Yeah, not that many. But there, uh, but it's 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 interesting how you know the 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 seven forty seven still still being produced, not the not the cart, not the uh, passenger That's version true. Uh, anymore. But yeah. uh, but the freighter version, it's, uh, uh, it's still uh, it's still being the eight F. Yeah, it's still being produced. Um, and I tell you, it's it's just such a phenomenal airplane in in, mm-hmm. in every sense. Just so such an easier plane to fly. It's fast, stable, and it's just iconic and. I'm, just, I'm uh, envious. Uh, never got a chance yeah. to fly it. Uh, would have been fun. Um, I mean, I could have. There was a small window of time that I could have, uh, like, downgraded myself to a first officer and flown mm-hmm. it and been, like, commuted out of Detroit. But it was just like, mm, yeah. no, I don't want to do nah. that. Too much of a hassle. Deanna I don't have to commute. I tell you, like, I remember one, one time we were flying. Uh, it's, this is funny because this is kind of apropos. We have all the all the, all the folks from uh you know down under right now listening i remember one day we were flying from sydney to melbourne and the controller in sydney um told us uh to give them uh best forward speed for the sequence into uh into melbourne and uh the controller goes uh best forward speed please and i was like and we were, we told them well, we'll uh we'll mach 9 one work 
Whoa. <laughs> <laughs> Say what? If you can do it, go for it. Yeah. Wow, so nice. we did a Mach 9-1 from Sydney to Melbourne. It was uh, it, it was just effortless, too. Yeah, it was just mm-hmm. such an amazing machine. It yeah. is. Really uh, just an yeah. iconic jet, for sure. Oh, look at this. Deanna, my check at the coffee shop today was $7.47. I kept there you the receipt. Go. That's a keeper. <laughs> oh, that's cool. All right. That um, is a keeper, yeah. Anywho. Uh, great article. It's in the show notes. If you want to look at some pictures of uh, beautiful 747s oh. and um, more information about those airlines who are still using it for passenger uh, mm-hmm. travel. All right. We already talked about uh, what's going on with you, so we don't need to do another getting to know a segment. Um, so why don't we go on to feedback? And we have some. Pardon me? Number four. Number four. Um, we have some feedback from a senior executive producer. Wow. That's the that's the top tier. That's like only a handful of people um, of our in our patron group uh, on Patreon are uh, in that uh, top tier category. And um, I believe this is a Canadian. So and this is a Canadian too, which is really surprising. Yeah. Oh, wait a minute. Maybe he's in the top tier because he's using Canadian dollars, which are pretty much worthless. <laughs> so maybe not so impressive. I'm <laughs> just kidding. <laughs> Liz. Okay. People are listening to the audio only. will hear what Liz, just the sound effect that she just made with her lips. Anyway, of course I'm joking. It's not that much different than the U S dollar, just slightly valued less, but uh, still a lot of money. Thank you very much, Sebastian, for that. And uh, so he has sent us some audio feedback and we're going to play it right now. Here we go. Hey folks, uh, this is Sebastian uh, from Calgary. This is my first audio feedback and I think it's long overdue. Um, To be honest, I became an avid listener in 2019, just before I got recruited by the second largest uh, airline in Canada and I was already planning on doing feedbacks but you know ground school seems check right etc and then more excuse not to do it um, got laid off in May 2020 due to this uh, bloody virus a bit of a kick in the nuts to be honest but uh, I'm one of the guys that can't complain I got my old non-flying job back quite fast and you know Life hasn't been too bad. Uh, I think it's been a weird year, however, uh, on so many aspects. It's uh, it's going to take us a few years probably to uh, put some order and figure out what the heck happened. I got uh, happily recalled a few weeks ago, and I will be back on the line in November. Uh, I don't know if uh, it's the same at Acme, Jeff, but <laughs> the most... Uh, Hard-working elements of the airline right now are definitely the sims. Uh, Jesus, the training is such a... Well, it's not a word. It's, it's such a shit show. Um, it's like if airlines needed hundreds of pilots tomorrow and at the same time just discovered, well, it takes more than a day or so to retrain pilots. Who saw that coming? Anyhow, enough talking about me. Um, just wanted to give this feedback was... Um, a specific objective in mind um 
you guys, um, you all that create this tremendous show. Um, I think in general, um, and especially nowadays, uh, people like to complain as much as they like to forget to say thank you. And you all deserve, a, I think, a tremendous thank you. Um, so thank you, Steph, ladies first, um, for sharing your experiences. God, I wish I had your physical abilities. Um, so just so I get you, um, you select a sport, don't train, take the shittiest flight ever, don't sleep, eat burgers, and get on the podium by 9 a.m., right? There's got to be a secret ingredient to your recipe, and I hope one day you eventually <laughs> share it. Thank you, Nick, for uh, so many things, but uh, mostly for the plain tales, of course. Um, wow, you do have um, quite a gift for storytelling. I really, really, really uh, like your work. Um, I especially admire your military career and what you have shared of your time as a as an instructor. For me, your tales are as good as The Office. <laughs> and as such, I will re-listen re to them many times. Uh, no, it's it's really, really great. Thank you. Thank you, Nick. Thank you, Rick, uh, for sharing your pictures on Twitter. I do follow you avidly. Um, you have flown some great birds. Right now, you're actually flying the one I always wanted to fly. And seeing this cockpit with all these steam gauges and not too much glass cockpit... Well, it just comforts me in the idea that I was born 20 years too late. Um, and please, Rick, negotiate with Captain Jeff. We definitely need your wife on this show. And I think she's the only one, really, that can bring the show above that 50% accuracy mark. Jeff? Well, Jeff, from the bottom of my heart, you know, um, thank you for all you do. Um, I was sorry to hear that you encountered some headwings um, in your personal life. And when I read that you were taking some time off, I was really expecting something like six to eight weeks. But hey, what do you know? After a few days, our dearest captain is back in the air and back on the air. I don't really know the amount of work it is to produce such a long and interesting podcast, but I get an idea. Um, that's one of the main reasons I wanted to become a patron, and I'm really proud of it. So thank you for what you do and what you represent. Liz, I don't know much about you, to be honest. One thing is sure, we're both on the same and the best side of that border. Um, it seems like you're helping Jeff a lot and that you're keeping some order in all this. Okay, well, that's enough of that. Um, oh, well, I'm sorry. I guess I should continue uh -oh, that. I, I think it's going to get edited out. Women are kind of better than us guys, just saying. So, yeah, oh, pretty cool. Sorry. So, yeah, thank you. Uh I just wanted to, yeah, mention another thing. Please don't forget one thing. You you do have, um, I would say, an important, let's say, massive effect on wannabe pilots. Um, what you say today may very well be the trigger to a, oh, I got to become a pilot and I, I want to do this. I need to I need to get there. Um, remember that. It's uh, it's an important role you have and, and a humbling one. I took probably a lot of your time uh, I'd have to talk, but I need to learn when to stop. Um, I just also wanted to add uh, a comment before uh, I leave you all. And this is more for um, the current or soon-to-be pilot students out there. If you are a current student and if you can afford to continue, please do so. Uh, I know many students right now who are abandoning um, due to the COVID, which could maybe be understandable. But um, 
The shortage is there. Demand for pilot is uh, and will be massively increasing in the next few years. Uh, if you look at what is happening right now in the US and the same is going to happen, uh, maybe not in the same proportion, but the same is going to happen in many countries. So uh, keep at it, um, definitely. Um, this job is so worth fighting for. And uh, really, you should not listen to the downers. There's always going to be people discouraging you. So I uh, just keep at it and, and go for it. So anyway, that was my little word. Thank you all for your time and patience. I look forward to uh, to share more often with you. I uh, got some some few ideas uh, I want to I wanna talk about with you. So uh, yeah, in the meantime, blue skies and tailwinds. Awesome feedback, Sebastian. Thank you very much. Great advice, that by was, the way, for those yeah. who are just starting out in this career field and want to do what uh, Captain Rick and Captain Nick used to do and what I can I am doing now, at least for the next uh, two years, three months. Um, end up doing it too. And Steph, you know, we, we're still, you know, working on her, trying to talk her into uh, doing this. Um, going to the dark side. Going to the dark side. Oh, wait, is she going to fly Airbus? Huh. Uh, that's Liz talking about the dark side. Um, <laughs> oh, you mean like airline pilot? Yeah, we're kind of a yeah, sw- kind of a dodgy for uh, um, group of uh, folks. Oh, you know what, Rick? If you were saying something, I apologize. I, I had your volume no, no, down, no, no, but no. now I have it back up. <laughs> no, no, I was saying I was. I was just saying I. I you just yeah. You, you, that was a good move actually, because what I just said is better. Uh, no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> what, what did you say? No. <laughs> <laughs> I'll no, have to I was just to saying the video. those. Uh, those are uh, those are wise words. Very, mm-hmm. very wise words. Uh, words uh, beyond your years, Sebastian. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, it uh, it might look bleak right now. It might look like uh, things are not looking good. Uh, but in actuality, things are turning around. And like you said, um, you know, it doesn't take a day or two to, to retrain a pilot. It uh, th- that pipeline needs to be needs to you know, keep keep going, and and uh, pilots need to move from you know from 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 flight school to instructors to commuters to and then on to the airlines because someone has to man those airliners. Someone has to women move people. Too. Well, <laughs> move people from A to B. So absolutely, don't uh, don't think that uh, because of the way things are going right now, uh, don't let that discourage you whatsoever. Um, as far as, as as your 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 kind words regarding my my pictures on Twitter, there's a, there's a little bit of a story behind that, and the reason why I post so much. And uh, I I kind of the way I look at it is me growing up. I I, um, I, I, I grew up going to, I remember there used to be a Barnes and Noble uh, bookstore a couple of blocks away from my house um, in, in Miami where I grew up. And I remember um, sitting and just flipping through pages and trying to, you know, and it was all about the the, the, the flight deck, the cockpit pictures and the instruments and trying to see, because whenever you take a picture of that, you're really, you're freezing that moment in time for posterity and there is so much that you can gather that you can see and so that, that you can absorb from from a picture and so i figured man it wouldn't it be cool if um i could you know just go along with someone on on a trip and kind of see what that life is at least the flight deck aspect of it um and so that's kind of my inspiration just my what what I aim to do here is to bring whoever wants to come along with me and, and and show you guys and gals what it's 
what it's like and what you have to look forward to once you uh, go through, uh, um, you know, all, all the training. And, 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 not, and not only for, for pilots and, and, and pilots to be, but also for people that uh, perhaps have a fear of flying or people that perhaps uh, uh, have a curiosity and would like to, you know, don't, don't quite understand how it works. And it's, it's nice to know that uh, it's, 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 I'm, I'm, I'm just a, a DM away or a comment away and I'll always try to respond and engage. And uh, it's, it's, it's nice to kind of have that back and forth with someone that is in the industry. And I think that's, uh, that's why I do it. Yeah. That's what you're do doing it. out there on, on Twitter is just awesome, Rick. I mean, you have a huge audience, yeah. man, I wish we could have that audience. Um, but, uh, it doesn't matter because what we do here is, um, you know, we just do this for ourselves basically, you know, and if people yeah. want to watch and listen, then, uh, good on you. But, uh, no, I think, uh, the same kind of thing for the, for the audio pod, I mean, the, the show that we do here, same kind of thing, Absolutely. you know, I, there are so many people that, that watch and listen, mostly listen to us and, uh, it's their way of living, uh, vicariously, uh, through us, many of whom, uh, wanted to do this for a living and, uh, just life circumstances, uh, just got in the way, you know, and they couldn't do it. Or, and they had you to- know. It may, it may have not even been that. It may have just been that they didn't have someone to tell them, hey, you can do this. It's not that's that true. Rich. Yeah, that's a that, good point. Because I've, I've met many people, countless people actually, that, you know, just, just getting to know them a little bit, they, you know, we, you, start, you start talking. And the reason they didn't become pilots is because they just didn't know that they could. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, there's there's a way to do so, I mean, even if you are not of, uh, of means – uh, you know, I, I went through, uh, the military, uh, and I didn't, you know, if, if, if I added up how much money I've spent on my flight training, it would be like, uh, under a hundred dollars, I think. I mean, it's just like, uh, the air force trained me and they actually paid me while they were training me. Uh, mm-hmm. so, I mean, there is, you know, there are ways to do this, um, that, uh, don't require a lot of money. So, you know, if there's a will, there's a way, Ooh, I should, and write that down. I should. I should coin yeah, that I'll phrase. You should. You should, uh, you should. You should. You uh, should patent that phrase. Yeah. <laughs> but no, it's so yeah, true. You know, you know? You uh, know that picture that Rick took that was so inspiring. This is even more inspiring, I think. Oh, oh yes. look at that. Uh, she look said, "You guy. know that picture that Rick took was inspiring, <laughs> but this is much more inspiring. This is what. This is. Kind of, this is. I, I'd say this is." Uh, like the greatest representation of the glamorous lifestyle of airline pilots right here. Rick is uh, doing some extreme ironing. Well, maybe not extreme, but it's some ironing. (laughs) Doing some ironing. Do a lot of ironing, a lot of ironing out there, but uh, (laughs) no, but that's, that's, that's just it, man. That's, that's just it, Sebastian. And it's, and it's, and and I'm happy that I get to take you and, and, and countless other people uh, along with me um, and, and show you this, the way things are on this side of the fence. And I'm, I'm happy that you get to, uh, uh, I'm happy that you get to fly again. And that's, uh, cause I tell you, oh, I yeah. mean, pilots, we just, we just, we, we, we're, we're born to fly and that's what, uh, that's what we love. And that's where we, that's where we feel it, feel at home. And I'm yeah. glad that you get that, to. Now, Sebastian is here. Again. Look at that. That, yeah, he, he's the guy that uh, we just listened to that audio feedback. He's in our live audience. And he said, there's too much oh, doubters thinking it's impossible. Yeah. Exactly. Well, you know, and we all know, um, those of us who are in this world, that there are 
I don't know what percentage of the population of professional pilots they make, but uh, I'd like to say it's a, it's, a, it's a small minority of them that, you know, you just know that they're not there because they really love doing this job. It's just because they thought they could make some easy money and uh, be home a lot. And uh, But you could just tell that they're just not into the craft mm-hmm. of, you know, exactly. doing this job well. Uh, but most of us, I think, are. And uh, that's it's one of the most rewarding things about this is that you and know, that is and that is the key word, Jeff. It's a craft. It's it's and you have to take pride in your craft. Mm-hmm. So um, and, and you and you can just like you said, you can tell the difference. You, you can tell who's there because of the money, mm-hmm. and who's there because they you know they're a, they're a um, an aviator. Yeah, you, get a, uh, you know, an a, aviator, a guy or a gal. A it? um, what's the um. The other term um, that we always talk about, airmanship, and uh, a um, an aeronaut. Um, uh, it's not the term that I'm looking for, though. Um, anyway, yeah, for sure. Um, so, as I said, most of us are in that category. In fact, you know, most of us would say, you know, like when we're going through contract negotiations and everything else, you said, well, don't let the company hear this, but I would probably do this for like next to nothing. You know, or do it for free. If I could, I'd fly for free. La, 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 la. Oh, here's high haul boxes. Um, oh, high haul boxes because of the lake. Oh, yeah, that's for sure. Wow. Hey, well, I mean, it's amazing. <laughs> that's why I got that the little do like a, a, a man in uniform. <laughs> exactly. Might not have anything in it, but uh, you have <laughs> nothing it. in that little black book or nothing in the uniform. Is that what you're saying? <laughs> Okay, and the, oh, the, and that's just I just want to say the last thing. And as far as as far as Kaya, yeah, Kaya is she's she's she keeps me above fifty percent in, in in many many aspects. Uh, you know, business aviation, avionics, uh, space. Now she's space, very very yeah. uh, involved yeah. with with space travel. So uh, anything that has to do with any of that stuff, um, you know, she you know she she'd be happy to uh, chime in every once in a while, and. Um, so yeah, she'll she'll she keeps me above fifty percent, and I need it a lot. Trust me. <laughs> yeah, um, it would be. Uh, in fact, Liz, should we should we do this while we're actually recording the show live? Tell Rick about uh, Kaya and the fact that she's going to take over for the yeah, his, his spot. Fired. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Oh. So that's that, kind so of, that's what the talk she has. She, she told me she has to have a talk with me later. Is that is that what? Is that yeah. What well, that's it. She's Sorry. saying she's she's saying yes. Yeah. She's saying yes. Yeah. She said that I've out I outlived my usefulness and okay. in so many ways. In so many ways. Okay. All right. Anyway, yeah, we'd love to have Kaya on the show every now and then. That's great. Uh, She did such a wonderful job uh, on that uh, webcast uh, for Blue Origin. That's awesome. Mm. Wow. Anyway, uh, so Sebastian, uh, finally, just to kind of you know bring it around um, full circle. Thank you so much uh, for sending in that awesome feedback. Primarily, and uh, secondly, uh, thank you so much for becoming a patron of the show. Um, It really means a lot, and. We look forward to hearing more from you. Got about 15 minutes left, okay. Jeff. So about 15 minutes left our, uh, from our control room. Uh, so I think we can, uh, let's see, which one of these do I want to do? Um, do number, four, uh, number 10. 10, I think, is a good one. Yeah, 10. Okay. Um, 10. This is from Mike. 
Uh, hey, APG crew, a couple things to mention about Autolands. First, regarding protected runways during practice Autolands. Uh, first question First question I ask crews when they say that they had an unsat Autoland is if they were protected. If not, I have a lot more faith. Well, that's kind of a that's kind, know, that's of, kind, that's of, kind of a personal. personal I don't think you can actually so, ask uh, that question. Yeah, I don't. I don't think that's so. Very, very I think personal. the ACLU would have something to say about that. ACLU but, uh, and OSHA yeah. and everybody else. I think. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and the uh, the the National Sex Union, <laughs> the NSU. Okay. If uh, anyway, if not, I have a lot more faith in something outside being causal over the plane being broken okay oh good point uh second here at acme maintenance if you pilot types <laughs> can't squeeze in a practice every 90 days we can do ground we 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 can do ground checks i think i'm going through puberty again uh, we can do ground checks that will return a plane to cat three quali- qualified that could be what the other folks were talking about when not being allowed to do a practice auto land. So then why do they insist so much on they put it on the flight plan, send you a car's message, the avionics engineers and tech guys, whatever you want to call them. They, they probably make a lot more money than we were. They're a lot more expensive than we are. Apparently. <laughs> yeah. But apparently I don't know, but apparently, I, I tell you, man, it's like you get an ACARS and then another ACARS. Oh, by the way, remember, Autoland, please, if you can. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so, <laughs> so that yeah. they don't have to bother those avionics techs, apparently. Mm-hmm. Also, at Acme, we're in the early stages of tool control. <laughs> Mike, <laughs> I think that you should have been practicing tool control for quite a long time. And the, oh, wait, wait a minute. What he's talking about, like, um, screwdrivers and 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 yeah. uh, that type of thing okay um let's see for my 34 years it's been on the honor system i found a few uh. few tools over the years yeah <laughs> we uh we all meet those um best was a melted rubber mallet on the top of the core of a v2500 could have been one of your 90s jeff Ooh, that's no good a Ooh, melted would, uh, rubber mallet that would have thrown off the balance, I uh, may I have. Imagine. It might have been a problem. Wow. And I fully agree. Long live the L10. Nothing beats the DLC, which is direct lift ah. control, for a great stable approach. Clear skies, Mike. Mike, we love our technicians, our maintain- maintainers. Thank you for listening to the show. And thank you for kind of, you know, letting us know that, you know, it's not such a, it's not the end of the world. If we can't get a practice auto land in there, you can just use your yeah. avionics guys to do it. It's interesting. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's very, very important that the ILS critical area be protected. Otherwise, uh, I think you've seen that video of that, uh, that triple seven doing an auto land and it, uh, it veers off the runway and then it, it, it goes back on. It was, mm. uh, and there was a, uh, the reason behind that, it was a uh, an airplane taking off, uh, and it uh, interfered with the uh, localizer um, the signal. Mm-hmm. The airplane veer off and then came back on there. Um, so, yeah, very, very important. And um, <laughs> you can't always do an auto land. At, what does that say? I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm just laughing at the aisle box. <laughs> Remember, folks, no electronic devices during auto lands. And call the local radio station to stop broadcasting too. 
signal interference. That's right. Uh, I see the that very, I, right. I see the tongue in cheek nature of IHAL boxes comments. Uh, and uh, again, we're on the same frequency there. <laughs> oh, absolutely. No pun intended, but you know what, it, it, what he says, it, it, it is true. And a lot of times, uh, things like that is are pointed out on the, on the very approach chart, you know, and if at, on, on the notes there, and, uh, sometimes you just can't do it because you can't do auto latch because of things like these. So, uh, yeah. He is uh he is he is spot on I do believe, and the 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 last thing about direct lift control uh ten eleven oh yeah beautiful airplane never never flew it I wish I had, I found out not too long ago actually that uh, did you know the F fourteen the Tomcat had uh, DLC I think well? I I just heard that recently uh, no I I did not know that for quite some time but um, yeah and that is so really important for air, airplanes that are landing on carriers because it's all about. You know, maintaining that yeah. pitch angle AOA. all the way down. Right. You know. Yeah. AOA cool. meatball lineup. AOA meatball lineup all the yeah. way down. Okay, so you've got about uh, ten minutes. Ten left. minutes. Okay, I think Let's we can squeeze this one in. I think. Um, okay, I moved it out. Oh, you okay, did? I'm yeah. Just, Where is it? Uh, I'm moving it back. I'm moving it back. <laughs> wow. It back. It's coming back. Liz is too efficient for her own good. She's already moved something out of our current show. Just hang on. Just but that's okay. I'm hanging on. I'm hanging on. I'm chill. I'm chill. We're good. We're good. You know, Liz, we need to talk about your future at the APG. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Rick and I are being fired on the same night. Rick, Rick and I are being fired on the same night. <laughs> okay. Is that right? N- number seven. Number seven, oh, man. Well, I changed my mind. No, I, you know, I don't see it. I need. I guess I need to re reload this no, or I something. I don't see it either. Um, Back to current show. Oh, here it is. It sh- finally showed up. Um. Oh, this is an article out of the points from the pointsguy.com. And uh, it's an article. We, we don't need to spend a lot of time on this because really it's a no-brainer. Ah, um, and uh, <laughs> it's um, from Becky Rausch. And okay. she said uh, she sent this link. And the uh, title is Airbus A321LR, which I believe is long range, versus the Boeing 787 Dreamliner, or what Nick likes to call the bin liner. Which do pilots prefer for transatlantic flights? Well, I mean, you don't even have to read this article because one is a narrow body and one is a, you know, a wide body airplane for these long flights. Obviously the, the wide bodies are going to kill it. Um, but it's, it's a, it's a pretty good article. Um, I'm not sure who exactly wrote it, but they, they claim, or they say that they are, um, an airline pilot who has flown both, jets and uh hmm. and that's that's great so it has a you know it's good uh, credible perspective on uh, flying you know transatlantic on an a321 lr and an airbus i mean not airbus sorry <laughs> wow boeing sorry um a dreamliner and right. uh, so it kind of goes through and you know it talks about various aspects of um of the uh, flight and the airplanes, ergonomics, and uh, let's see what else: uh, ride comfort, air quality, and performance. I was, yeah, I was going to point. I was going to point that out. I think the the number one thing for me is the fact that since the you know, the the seven eight seven is uh, it's a composite fuselage, uh, you're able to pressurize it to a lot you know a lower cabin. Um, altitude, and uh, since you don't have to worry really too much about corrosion because it's composite, you can enter, you can introduce um, more humidity into the air. Mm-hmm. 
and so um, when when you're talking about you know those ultra long haul uh, type flights, and you know and you know transatlantic is not ultra long haul, but still you know it's a good six, seven, eight hours sometimes depending yeah, on where you're going it's from. Not a short to. flight. It's not a short flight, you know, by, by any stretch of the imagination. And little things like those, um, you know, I tell you, when you're when you're when you're flying around at you know thirty five, thirty, forty thousand feet, having the cabin at seven thousand feet versus having it at forty five hundred feet, it's a huge makes a huge difference. Yeah, you wouldn't think it make any difference, but it does. Mm-hmm. The other thing is that the air used to pressurize the cabin of a Dreamliner is not taken from the uh, the compressor section of the engine. Exactly so if there's right. any kind of a leak, you know, we, we talked about, what is it called? Aerotoxic syndrome or something like that. Mm-hmm. There's no chance of that occurring with the uh, Dreamliner because um, the, it doesn't use pneumatic um, air from the engines the bleed to air pressure. Whatsoever. Bleed air, yeah. And it's interesting because the, the, the 787 is the first Boeing model to go back to the type of technology that the 707 and 720 used. To I, pressurize. I think even uh, the DC, the like the DC six or whatever, you know, like the even the prop versions of the some of the uh, McDonnell Douglas airplanes were using um, that kind of oh, pressurization well, yeah, system. It, you, right? well, you, you you had to because you couldn't you couldn't uh, you can't you can't run um, bleed air off. Well, of, they're trying uh, to find know. a way to do that, but there's no bleed air on the uh, piston or uh, engines. The piston, you yeah. Know. But um, you, so you could, but it gets smoky on there. Yeah, I guess yeah. that wouldn't be too good. Really, really not good. Um, so the only thing that the Airbus A three twenty one LR won in this contest was uh, the control column thing, which Nick always points out. The fact that Ooh. you know the control, co- you know the side stick controllers out of the it's way, and you not get a little table. Bad. You, can, you have not your little table, down. and you can put your little glass of champagne on there, and little like a little yeah, lamp. You're, you're, your your manicure kit, manicure caviar. kit, oh. it's caviar, yeah, all your, that stuff. Uh, your your eyeshadow and uh, all that stuff. So, <laughs> your make, uh, it's very I'll, nice. You can I'll put learn. your makeup mirror right yeah. there in front of you, and you know, put, yeah, put all your you makeup. Know, you on. can you can powder your nose and all that stuff. You know, these Airbus guys, they like that kind of stuff. Well, yeah. I'm, I'm, well, I'm, well, I'm well, to judge. Hey, so, uh, nothing wrong with that. <laughs> Nothing, nothing wrong with that. Nothing wrong with that. Absolutely yeah. not. I, I uh, I'm, I'm very inclusive like that. So. You are. You are like yeah. one of the most inclusive so. people that I know. <laughs> Shows you the kind of people I hang out with. Anyway, um, so great comment from Ihalbox. Ihalboxes. I still wonder whether it was aerotoxic syndrome or the beans on the last flight. <laughs> Well, little, that, little from column A, little from column B, perhaps. Yeah. I mean, the bean uh, emissions, uh, I would call that aerotoxic. So, yeah, definitely. Sort of All right. Chemtrails in another. Chemtrails, yeah. Okay. Well, you know what? Uh, if you want to read this entire, and it, it is a good article, if you want to read uh, this uh, from the pilot's perspective of somebody who has actually flown both, uh, both jets over the Atlantic, uh, it's good. So, uh, again, that's from what, uh, the points and that'll be in the show notes. So that means it is now, t- well, that doesn't mean it, but, uh, the time I'm uh, looking at the time and our control room tells us that it is time now to wrap it up. So yeah. we are going to point you over to our wonderful website, Arash Mahin is our uh, web uh, master, and uh, he uh, uh, manages our wonderful website, airlinepilotguy.com. And uh, lots of, oh, I, I meant to, I had it all set up before, and I don't now. But anyway, just in your mind, picture the website 
and how beautiful it is and all the different things that you can see on it. Uh, like uh, we have uh, information about the crew and the community and the community calendar, merchandise. We have um, more detailed information about the Plain Tales library, our wonderful and beautiful, I might add, uh, librarian, Tiffany. Um, and uh, beauty, and I mean, I'm talking about skin deep, but she's not bad looking either. Uh, Tiffany <laughs> uh, is the one who manages that. And uh, so if you're into like reading books and stuff, uh, you should check that out. And um, what else? Uh, did I do I have to talk to HR now about that, uh, Liz? Yeah. Yeah, you need, uh, you need, uh, you need sensitivity I'm sorry. training, Jeff. I'm sorry. <laughs> I, I thought it was a compliment. You're going to have to edit yourself out there. I'm not going to edit that out. But don't worry. Leave it in there. I'll be right there with you after my after my comments <laughs> on the Airbus. So uh, let's okay. be you and me, buddy. Yeah. Well, Steph, our HR representative, is not here with us tonight. So, yeah, that's the way it works. If you're not going to show up, then... You know, who who knows what's going to happen here on the show. We're going to run a muck, Liz says. Yes. Anyway, uh, so the the airlinepilotguide.com, uh, the website. Check it out, please. And uh, also, we're on the social medias, or uh, what I like to call the social meds. So, uh, Rick, we're going to do let you do the honor, oh. and you have a little guideline there that Liz is going to hopefully not trip Look you up that. with. Not not this time. Last time she no, did, no, that, no, it, it went pretty. But this time it's looking great. It yeah. says Facebook page airline pilot guy. Everything uh, airline pilot guy, uh, airline pilot guy related on Facebook. It's on there. Also at APG Crew on Twitter. Uh, all uh, APG Crew related things on that Twitter uh, platform are on there. Uh, Instagram APG Crew. I need to, uh, and I keep forgetting about this. I need to. I need to start sending you pictures because we need to start po- uh, posting some of the stuff that I have taken all pictures only for instagram that i haven't um uh sent uh, your way quite yet so yeah. uh, we need to uh, we need to do that come on and right. uh <laughs> i do believe uh hillel uh, i think hillel's in there isn't he? well let me see if i got the um i don't oh <laughs> i can't believe it he's, he's here in the cabin hey hillel <laughs> hillel do you have time for slack Okay, that's all right. Come on, just uh, grab a towel. Come on over. Put the robe on, please. I didn't need to see that. Okay, come on over here. Don't get water over everything. This is expensive equipment here. Now tell us about Slack, please, okay? APG listeners, please join us on our Slack team. Slack is a communication, coordination, and sharing platform that works on your mobile, laptop, or browser. On Slack, we share news and ideas. We suggest episode and plain tales topics. We plan events and meetups. To get into the Slack team, please email me at slack at airlinepilotguy.com. That's S-L-A-C-K, Sierra Lima Alpha, Charlie Kilo at airlinepilotguy.com. Or send me a tweet with your preferred email address to at Hillel, and I'll send you an invitation. That's Hillel, spelled Hotel India 11 Echo 1, and see you in Slack. Thank you, Hillel. Jeff, would you lose all my back again? Uh, we're, we're still doing the show, Hillel, all right? It's, it's not me. <laughs> I, I don't know what's going on there. We'll have to kind of explore that after we uh, end the broadcast yeah. here. Well, anyway, so. so thank you, Hillel, for that. And uh, we also want to thank our controller, not controller, our <laughs> producer and director in Toronto, Ontario, Canada, Liz Piper. Thank you, Liz. So much hard work that she does before, Absolutely. after, and during the show, and we—it's—we uh, could do it without her, but it would be a 
pretty crappy show if we if we uh, didn't have her with us to uh, to do that. So thank if you, you, Liz. Want to quickly mention we're going to do another one on Monday. We're going to do another <laughs> one on Lord. Monday. Yeah, Liz says for me to mention to you. Uh, yeah, just um, just very soon actually. So uh, make sure that you stay tuned with that. And you know, again, APG or airlinepilotguy.com slash calendar, I think. Anyway, check out the website. It's there. You can find out when we're going to be doing this next thing. And with that, I think it's now time for us to finally sign off and tell you and wish you clear skies, unlimited visibility and tailwinds. Take care and God bless. We'll see you next time, everybody. Be safe out there. Good day. Fine. Airline, not a guy. I fly. Over.